Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and Bash. On today's show, we'll review Royal Quest 2, the first three nights of the Battle Autumn Tour, and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. And as you guys can hear, I am back. Yeah, Jeremy. Um, I don't like doing the show without you, really. <laughs> Well, I, I, thought, I thought James did a great job uh, filling in last week. Well, like I said last week, if there was one person that needed to be on the show from our group that can uh, kind of keep me in line, that's James. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a different thing when you're leading the show because I, like I like you to be the responsible one to just keep things rolling. And I can just, like, crack jokes and, like, you know, do whatever I want to do. But, like, when I'm leading the show, I can't troll James because I have to keep things, like, pretty semi-professional. And, you know, pretty much when he's on the show, I just want to, like, riff on him. Right. And get under his skin because it's funny. <laughs> but I didn't do that that much. In fact, last week, if you notice, I didn't even call him Dr. Joshi one time. Yeah, you were the, the straight man last week. Had to be. Had to be. <laughs> but I'm glad you're back. How uh, How was the honeymoon? How was the trip? 
Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, we had also a um, friend of the show, Zach Porter, also asked how the honeymoon was and how hard it was to get back and to watch six shows. Um, but yeah, the honeymoon was a, a ton of fun. We went to uh, Sedona, Arizona is where we stayed and uh, did some road tripping there. Went to the Grand Canyon, the Petrified Forest, Painted Desert. Saw the, the big meteor crater uh, out there. Saw That's all- a work. <laughs> meteors aren't even real bro do your own research uh well they, they surely have turned into a work they, they you know they turn into a little you know gimmick park they make you pay <laughs> go in to see the, you know the big hole in the ground um but yeah it, it was a lot of fun um ate a lot of good food um saw all the great sights and sounds of sedona and arizona um then after that after the end of the week we flew over to uh california for uh, my wife's uh younger brother's wedding in the the middle of the redwoods uh, i thought you were just going for in and out <laughs> I, I did grab some in, in and out uh, on, <laughs> on the way there uh you know can't go to california without getting some uh, in and out burger uh but yeah overall super uh fun trip um lots of good food lots of great sights and sounds uh yeah but i'm glad well, we, to be back we, we have a guest here, and um, we're going to introduce him in just one moment. But I've got one last thing to ask you, Jeremy, before we get to that. What's up? You've been you've been gone a while. I had to man the ship. Okay, I know you listened to the show, but aside from that, how annoyed have you been by the way I've been running our Twitter account, bro? Our, our Twitter is like been going crazy. <laughs> There's... Crazy in a good way or crazy in a bad way or both? Both, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> No, it, it's been good. A lot, a lot more engagement. You're throwing out a lot, a lot of posts there. It's all your, um, your, um, what's the last one you just did with the, um, the, what am I thinking of? Wow, I'm blanking. The Mount Rushmore. Yes, Mount Rushmore. Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That got a lot of yeah. engagement. See, that's a positive one, but I've been like getting into fights with people about like 19, like 1800s and early 19th <laughs> century, you know, pro wrestling and, and i did see yeah. somebody was like you asked for an opinion on something and somebody said something and they were like and you said they were wrong and they were like i didn't that's how, not what happened they're that's like, how am happened. i wrong <laughs> no that's not what happened that's that's not what it was at all some dude was like who was the most successful wrestler who never had any great matches and he said not a single one right that's not an opinion piece that is he set out some criteria he said who had the most success but never ever had a great match in their whole career and there was like all your typical answers jake roberts sid vicious honky tonk man ultimate warrior goldberg nash but here's the problem jeremy if the question was an opinion piece like who was the worst wrestler that had an incredible in-ring career those might be acceptable answers they asked who never had a great match every single person on this list for like hundreds and hundreds of suggestions i can easily find a great match that they had and it's not just my opinion it's like the general consensus of humans that watch wrestling you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so all i said was well i think most of these answers are not correct because all these guys have had a great match and then i threw out big daddy you know that's like the the only other answer i saw in there that sounded right is colleen I don't think Kali ever did have a great match, but I think Big Daddy's like more important. Probably, some dude got pissed at me. He's like, "My opinion is the only right opinion." You sound fun, and I'm like, I was just like, I should have sent Hose Mad back at him, <laughs> but I didn't want to piss you off, so I, I tried to like stay as a you know professional. I mean, I think I am gonna get a Twitter because my Twitter will be fucking unhinged. You, you should. <laughs> 
to get yeah. the, the full but, hot um, takes. But the whole time that I was running the Twitter, I was like, I wonder what Jeremy thinks about everything that's on this timeline when he like pops in. <laughs> well, I mean, I get the I have it on my phone, so I get the notifications. Like somebody's like something. I was like, oh well, I didn't post it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, enough about us. Let's go ahead and uh, introduce our guest this week. Yeah, so we have um, listener of the show Bash joining us. Uh, he was live in attendance for uh, Royal Quest and. Want to get his uh, live um, experience, his live vantage point since we watch it here at home. And uh, Bash, before we jump into Royal Quest, anytime we have new guests on the show, we like to kind of find out a little bit about their personal New Japan history. Uh, so when did you start watching uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling? Um, passing was probably like early 90s, maybe. Like um, WCW and uh, Liger was like on there and Muta. Um, I kind of heard about it from then, and then like I found like Taka, and then I got all the ECW tapes, uh, videos. Nice. So um, yeah, and then constantly it was probably like 2014 when AJ jumped. Mm. I think from then it's been like a constant uh, in my life, to be honest. Yeah, I think that was a big catalyst for a lot of people. Honestly, having a familiar name like AJ Styles kind of made the product a little more accessible at that time uh for me yeah probably because he was quite a big name on the scene on the obviously the independent scene and obviously seeing him in a poster for new japan obviously kind of like piqued my interest in the whole product nice uh so who's your uh, favorite new japan wrestler right now <sighs> i think everybody's gonna say osprey right now to be honest i mean the amount of work he's put in this year alone has just been incredible. It's crazy what he's doing. It's non-stop, like bang, 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 different companies, different matches, just the quality of them. Like it's probably gonna go to Osprey. So so being nice. in the UK, have you seen Osprey live a lot outside of New Japan shows? Uh not really. Like I said, I only really go to big shows to be honest. Like my first show was like Tokyo Dome twenty twenty. And then, obviously, I wanted to go to the Dome this year, but obviously um, restrictions just about got lifted and I brought tickets for the Royal Quest show. I mean, the Royal Quest show. So, um, yeah, it's just the, the pricing of it. It was a bit, like, kind of out of my range now to go to Tokyo Dome, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I haven't really seen him. I saw him, like, on the scene, as not in live, but just working like WCPW, RevPro, and Progress, etc. So I knew what he was doing. And then obviously when you joined New Japan, it was kind of like, oh, there's another thing that I can, you know, grip my heels into. I think New Japan's got the best um, mix of roster people from all over the world, to be honest. Like, you know, Mexico, Japanese, British, just a whole different elements of styles. I think what what's really like peep my fandom in New Japan. Nice. Absolutely. So what's your uh, favorite New Japan match? Uh, I know everyone's going to say, Ken, a lot of people say Kenny Okada, don't they? Mine's the two out of three fours, probably. I think like just uh, the, the way that match was built and the things around it was probably one of my favorite New Japan matches, to be honest. And the That's first one. 
that's like saying, uh, you know, lots of people are going to say my favorite food is pizza. Well, you know, <laughs> everybody can't be wrong. If it's if it's good, it's good. And uh, you pick one of the best ones, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just the stuff they did was quite um, quite mind blowing at the time, obviously. And yeah. still is. If yeah, you that... look back now and you're just like, fucking hell, how did they, how did they manage that? Yeah, that match is absolutely incredible. I'll never forget. Yeah, watching that with Josh and Rich and just like just being blown away. And like afterward, like, all right, what what do we do now? Like, we, we just like watch the yeah. like, best wrestling match ever. Like, what what what, what can we possibly do now? <laughs> yeah, you kind of have that high elation, don't you? Your dopamine is like off the charts, and you're like, you can't. You just think you're just thinking about it in your head over and over. <laughs> That's what people told me after they saw my uh, my wrestling matches. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, let's jump into Royal Quest. Like I mentioned, Bash, you were live in attendance uh, for Royal Quest, and of course, Josh and I we had to watch it uh, on demand once it was finally uploaded after uh, two weeks of uh, putting the show up. Um, so I guess first, like, let's, let's talk about your live experience. How was everything at Royal Quest getting into the building, the atmosphere? I saw you did some of the meet and greets. How was your overall experience? Uh, yeah, the, the overall experience wasn't too bad. I think a lot of people had complaints about the meet and greets, to be honest. Because mm. um, the first night I had a, the first day I had the ultimate combo and obviously Jonah didn't show up. And the game is just this card, and I asked them if I could cash in that card the next day for um, another meet and greet with somebody else because Johnny didn't show up. And then when I turned up the next day, they go, "Oh, that was only for the Saturday." And I was like, "I've met everybody on the Saturday, so kind of it was really confusing actually." And then when they brought out the single price tickets as well, that was quite confusing as well. So a lot of people felt like they got robbed on the meet and greets, but. For me, it was just like, okay, but when am I going to meet everybody again? You never know, do you? So uh, I gave Okada Jaffa Cakes as well, so that was pretty much my highlight. So Did they yeah. end Did they end up, um, you know, giving you a replacement the next day? Uh, not at all? They said, I told them about it, and I mentioned it to them, but they said, no, that was just for Saturday. So I was like, how can they be that? How can they be just for Saturday when obviously the person's not there? Like when you've met you, every... did, you didn't get a refund on on the no show. I'm trying huh. to try to contact Rev Pro. They're just no selling me completely. Like I'm up to contact him on Twitter. Um, asked him, said, you know what's going on. P- apart from sending like a personal DM to them, they just no sold me about the whole situation, which is yeah. a, bit, a bit shit. Like it would only be thirty quid or whatever, but you know thirty quid, thirty quid, and. So, was was the was it run directly by RevPro or was New Japan's uh, office at all involved in booking it? I'm not sure because you only buy the tickets. You brought them off the RevPro site, so it must have been RevPro. I can't, I can't blame New Japan to be honest. Well, I mean, I, this is just me speaking. I wasn't there. I don't know the specifics, but I would reach out to New Japan and say what happened. You know, because even if, uh, like, let's say whether it's intentional or not, if they're not responding to you on the, the English side of it, they are partners. It is a new Japan event. Even if like it's being facilitated by the office of RevPro, their name and brand is tied to it. And that's something that falls under their purview. 
Um, and you're not the only person we've heard, you know, reports of things like this from. So I, I would reach out to both companies. I'd go public as fuck. Like, <laughs> I I would be blasting them. I'd be tweeting the shit out of it because that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I've never I've never heard of uh, someone no showing and then the, and then the company, you know, being like, we got your money, kid. Yeah, it's kind of like that, to be honest. It's like, oh, we've got your money and I'll you know, go do one. But. That's a thirty quid. It's not a chump change, is it? It's, but it's still money at the end of the day. It's the principle in it. It's not the actual money. It's the principle of it all. Right. Like, you yeah. pay for yeah. like um, something, and you expect something else. I understand Jonah couldn't make it. That's fine. You know, hurricanes and you lot obviously went through a terrible time with it. And you know, if you can't travel, you can't travel. But you know, if they're giving you something in replacement for it, if they said there's no replacement. That's fine. Like if you say, oh, you give, we're not going to give you no more meet and greets or a refund on you or whatever. At least they've put it out in plain terms instead of giving me this little card and saying that you can use it tomorrow or whatever, which is, apart from that, yeah, it, it wasn't too bad, I'll be honest. I can't, don't want to harp on about it, to be honest. Yeah, so let's talk well, about your, your experience at the show, like watching the show and the matches. How was like the atmosphere in the crowd? Uh, the crowd seemed the first night pretty fired up, to be honest. And then the second night, there was a bit of a lull. Um, I don't know if that's because, like, people went to work on Monday and the Saturday night. Some people just come for the Saturday and some people came for both nights. Mm-hmm. So I think the crowd energy kind of, like, dulled out on the Sunday. I don't know if you can tell, like, watching it live, but, I mean, on demand, sorry, not live. But, um, yeah, it kind of dulled out a bit and, like, there was a lot of empty seats on the Sunday. I'll be honest. There was like, there was like, we were in a row. Like, I was in a row, and most of that row was empty. And then the front of that row was empty, kind of empty as well. So you know, everybody did. Once everybody sat down, we all just jumped, like a row or two ahead, and nobody said nothing about it. I don't know if that's bad procedure or whatever, but the security is not telling you anything. Then we all just jumped to a closer view. To be honest. Well, before we get into the review, what was your you know, do you have general thoughts on your live experience? You know, things you like, things you didn't like, stuff that stuck out to you, that sort of thing. Uh, I think British crowds are pretty, pretty crazy, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, the things they were chatting, I was like, okay, biscuits don't really go with gravy. But I'm British person, because I, I come from a different kind of background. I don't really have gravy, like. From the Pakistani background, there's more curries and stuff in it. So I was like, okay, biscuits, yeah, biscuits, fine, but you're not gonna have biscuits with gravy. Maybe a cup of tea and stuff like that. And like, <laughs> the fuck the Tories bit was quite fun. Like everybody shouting fuck the Tories, but I don't think that's gonna change the political consensus in England. I don't think the Tories watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. To be honest. <laughs> You know, it's one of them. It's like you not screaming out "fuck Republicans" at the New York show or something like that. And it's I don't think it's going to change like anybody's opinion on what's going on. But it is what it is. It? it wasn't too bad. I'll be honest. It it was you know a lot of people come out because if it were, if there was no FTR Aussie Open, I think a lot of people would be complaining more than they probably have done. I'll be honest. Mm. Yeah, and I know for you, it's probably hard. I mean, you said your first ever wrestling show was a Wrestle Kingdom and going from the Tokyo Dome and having to compare that to every live experience you have after that. Like you, like I said, <laughs> off the air, like you set the bar pretty high for yourself. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's like the creme de la creme. And that's like, uh, that's like, 
that's just like the dream and it and I've, I've done it and it's like oh you go to other wrestling shows i'm like oh this doesn't feel the same but <laughs> sometimes sometimes wrestle kingdom is not as as amazing as people think it is not on, on paper or on card and when you're actually there it's just a different different thing i guess hmm. nice. like well, i said if you two can do it you should do it this year just because your dollars are worth more than it's more probably worth more than cryptocurrency right now. <laughs> In some cases, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about uh, each of these nights here. Talk about the matches. We won't go super in-depth on some of the um, undercard tag stuff, uh, but we'll get your thoughts on some of these matches. And then feel free to jump in if there's one that you want to go a little bit longer on uh, since you were there live. Uh, so we'll start with night one. Uh, show opened up. We had returning Gabriel Kidd defeating Dan Maloney. Nine minutes and 19 seconds. I thought this was a great way to kick off the show. Big fan of Gabriel Kidd. And since Dan Maloney has left NXT UK, he's put on a ton of muscle mass. And he's gotten a ton better. I've seen some of his other Rev Pro stuff. And this was, uh, I think, the perfect opening uh, matchup for the show. Uh, yeah, I think this was, like, probably one of the best matches on the first night, to be honest. Like, uh, it's great to see Gabriel Kidd back doing his thing. Um, I know he's got a match with Tanahashi coming up soon on Strong, so that's really interesting to see him go from, like, this match to straight to Tanahashi, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it was a good opening. I think Dan Maloney did pretty pretty well as well. I thought they both put on a... They both kicked each other, you know, kicked, kicked the crap out of each other, basically. And, um, you know, Gabe Kidd is... Hopefully he's doing well. You know, it seems yeah. like anyway. Yeah, I thought that this match was just an outstanding opener for this type of show. You know, um, th this is one of those matches that I kind of point to when if you ever want, do want to criticize the idea of like star ratings, because this match was a perfect opener. You know what I mean? Like for what they wanted it to be, sub 10 minutes, go out there, work your asses off, like really pop the crowd show physicality and and entertain that's what they did and you know probably in the right context these guys could probably have a a, a really compelling main event i was super impressed with both guys um and dan maloney's not the only one that's put on some muscle mass i mean gabe kidd is looking huge from the last time that we've seen him so that's a that's another good thing as well but yeah just really really impressed with uh the showing from both these guys and um very much looking forward to you know provided Gabe Kidd is back in in action and ready to go I'm very much looking forward to what the future holds for him in New Japan yeah definitely and I, I totally agree with you on your star rating point because as I was watching this and trying to rate it I was like at first I was like really super high on it and I started looking at on cage match and grapple and people were like super low on it but I'm like man they were slapping the crap out of each other like great suplexes ton of fire like I don't know. I think, crowd I think it's it. just like a an opening match bias or like a you know what uh, there's there's um it's not a coincidence that longer matches tend to get rated higher. There's just that proclivity people have. The, the longer the match goes, the more epic it was. But this was a perfectly great ten minute you know sprint that was just really physical. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I like the like the little smack talk in between them as well, like Dan Maloney going to Dojo Boy and things like that. I thought that was quite interesting as well. Because, like, English people like to shit-talk each other. 
So um, I watch a lot of uh, Love Island, so I can attest. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, feel sorry for you, man. How it's the greatest show that humanity has ever produced. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So moving on to the next match, we had uh, Michael Oku and Ricky Knight Jr. They teamed up to defeat the United Empire team of Gideon Gray and the Great Ocon, 12 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, quick tag match here. Um, pretty putting a spotlight on two of Red Pro's top stars, Michael Oku, RKJ, who just defeated Osprey not too long ago to become the undisputed Rev Pro British champion. And so, yeah, I think really is kind of highlighting those, those two guys here. Uh, yeah, I think Michael Oku is, I've seen him here and there. I saw the match he had with Osprey, and I thought that was really good. And I think that he did some spot where he dived right into the crowd, didn't he? Like, may yeah. have or something. And I was like, you know, when we actually saw him, we were thinking, like, wow, he's he's putting his working shoes in it. So I'm surprised he hasn't been over to New Japan yet, to be honest. In that is super in the junior role or something like that. But you know, there's only so many spots in it, I suppose. But yeah, I hope he gets a look in. I guess it was a like, decent little tag. You know, that's all it, it was for me. Yeah, this was fine. Um, I think part of it that was great was Gideon Gray sort of reestablishing Okan as being this like you know. <laughs> primetime player that came from the UK and was undefeated while he was there and yada 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 and, and Gideon really... undefeated undefeated yeah gonna shut up at some point sorry and that really uh solidified for people that were unaware of this connection that and I thought Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton did a great job kind of illustrating to the connection between the Legion faction and Gideon Gray and his ties to the you know formation of uh the United Empire, even if it's a bit of a retcon, it, it all logically makes sense. It's uh kind of worked itself out. So that's been cool. And then yeah, um I'm impressed with all four guys. I think Gideon Gray has been outstanding in New Japan since he got here as this uh you know shit face little weasel guy <laughs> that just gets beat and he you know that's been hilarious. And then, I think my favorite thing about him is he wears his blazer and his tweed coat, and it's like he's just a yeah. twat, twat in it. Like, yeah, he wears that. He'll wear that out <laughs> with like just his trunks on still. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like wearing a bodysuit. It looks like he's wearing a bodysuit. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's so weird. It's so pasty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, as far as Oku and RKJ go. Both of these guys, from what I've seen, I'm super high on them. Obviously, Red Pro is as well. And I, I do think that they're two of the more promising prospects that New Japan might want to bring in for different tournaments or get a look at or, you know, try out a little bit here. So uh thought the match was fine. But, yeah, definitely impressed with those guys. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Oku sometime down in the future. And who knows? We have a Super Junior Tag League coming up. Um, it looks like it's going to be 10 teams. And, you know, there's not 10 um, domestic Japanese team. So who knows? Maybe you, you bring in Oku and somebody else from Rev Pro to fill a spot come uh, this um, tournament. So uh, moving on to the next match, we had Alex Windsor and Ava White defeating Jazzy Gabbert and Kanji. Six minutes, 18 seconds, since it was a, a preview for the Ava White and Jazzy Gabbert match that would happen on night two, all a part of the IWGP Women's uh, Tournament. The stopwatch fans should have 
definitely been tweeting at this show. Six minutes, that's far too too little time for a women's match in New Japan. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I feel sorry for him. Everybody just ran for the toilets and just... <laughs> And then just went to the bar and stuff, and I was like, it's it's quite disrespectful in a sense, to be honest, because obviously they've been put on the card for a reason. Right. I know like a lot of people like to take the piss out of women's wrestling or whatever, but they were working. It's the finish was a bit flat, and like nobody knew what happened. Everybody was sitting there like, oh, what what happened to Kanji? Like things like that. And I don't know. I just felt sorry for him on both nights, to be honest. It, it, it's just not nice, personally, in my opinion. Like you can do what you want if you brought a ticket, but if you're there and you know, you know, there's a women's match on the card, at least pay him a bit of respect, even if it's not great. I think one issue is just most of the people still know who these women were. I think the most recognizable right. name here is Jazzy Gabbard, and most people probably recognize that name just from like, the Mae Young Classic and probably don't even realize like her history of wrestling in Japan for stardom. And so, I think these other women, like, I don't. I don't. I don't. I didn't recognize these women's names before they were announced. I'm, I'm assuming they they're used on UK indies <laughs> and Rev Pro and stuff. But I don't. I haven't really seen much of the other ladies' names, and so these ladies weren't yeah. over. And so I think if you're if you're going to run for the bathroom, you're going to go for a match where you don't know who the people are. Yeah, I mean it's double edged. I, I I definitely see what you're saying there, Bash. And I mean, you know, it, could there be like a sexist element to it? Absolutely. But at the same time, I agree with you, Jeremy. If they haven't really established these wrestlers and they're not known commodities it like let's just assume it were like let's say that this was four green guys from the uk scene that nobody knew that'd probably be the bathroom break so um i think it kind of cuts both ways but you know aside from all that the fact that they did get an opportunity to wrestle in front of this crowd you know on this sort of stage that platform that is a good thing um i don't have much to say about this match it was fine but uh, I, I liked the singles match the second night much better. Yeah, same here. So following that, we had the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. They defeated the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, El Desperado, and Zack Sabre Jr. And this was previewing the Naito-Sabre match at Wood uh, main event the second night. Uh, yeah, Seeing all my favorites in the ring together in a six-man tag was pretty fun, I guess. It was like everybody was, everybody loves Donkey secretly. Like, we all just love him. I'm surprised he tweeted, like, he tweeted that picture and nobody came to see him on a Saturday, which is a bit sad. But, yeah, I think it was a good tag. It's, it's like trying to remember something from, like, Two weeks ago, it's quite hard though. <laughs> a month ago, it's quite hard because I've got a brain fog from COVID and it's so on my short term memory is pretty bad, unfortunately. Now, the main standout matches I can probably talk about a lot more. So, but it was a fine match for me personally. No worries. Uh, that was something I was going to ask you. Did you ever get a chance uh, to watch these live after having attended, uh, or I'm sorry, watch them, watch the replay after having watched the shows live? I was trying to watch them back. I was going to, but then obviously Battle Autumn and then Strong kind of took precedence in it because obviously mm. TV title tournaments going on right now. But I do want to watch them back just just to see how the quality is on the production, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's why I was going to ask because, you know, I know for me, uh, there have been times where I've gone and seen a live show and then I'll go and rewatch it. And it's like 
almost sometimes a totally different viewing experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm like. There was a picture of like FTR took and Dax was somebody put it on his Twitter, and then my friends are like circling me out in the crowd. <laughs> mark, like, there's you, you mark. <laughs> um, as far as this match goes, though, I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was probably, um, you know, of the undercard matches, probably my favorite until we got to like the semi main event. Um, and, it, you know, it's what we've said time and time again, just how cohesive uh, LIJ are when it comes to these multi-man tags. And then you have ZSJ, Desperado, and Doki in there who are very, very, very familiar with these, you know, counterparts and wrestling them time and time again. Um, everyone was just kind of on, you know, all cylinders and just sort of... Uh, in sync with each other this match really flowed and like like you bash i don't have a specific thing that i remember to pick out about it but um i definitely enjoyed it quite a bit who do you think's better like at the multi-man tags is it united empire or lrj or do you think they're on bar because like, at the moment i think united empire is just aging it on the multi-man tags yeah that's a tough question because yeah those both units are incredible. Also, we have a longer experience watching LIJ together. And, and since 2017, when we started the show, like that group has always gelled so well together. Then you add in, you know, Shingo Takagi, and now they've also added Teton. I, I think no matter what combo they have, they've been great. But then also you look at the United Empire, and yeah. they've built up in the, the established team of Aussie Open, then Ocon and Jeff Cobb and TJ Pinakira. They're a great team. And then Osprey, like, you know, Empire, like pretty much every in that group singles is like a great like singles wrestler and then you put them together and it's like just really fun to watch I, I don't think that united empire as a whole meaning you could put any combination together will be on the same level as uh lij as in that regard with lij it doesn't matter which members you put together they always always hit on that level and I think it might even, it's not even just so much the talent. I think they probably have a match layout or structure that they follow that just allows that to be the case. But um, I definitely think there are certain combos of United Empire that are not far off. Yeah, like Osprey and Aussie Open, like them as a trios is just incredible. Uh, so let's move on now to the next matchup. We had uh, the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. They defeated Bad Dude Tito and Zack Knight. Zack Knight was replacing Jonah. Like we mentioned, Jonah had some fight issues due to Hurricane Ian wasn't able to make it over for these Royal Quest shows. Yeah, fucking Hurricane Ian. Uh, <laughs> no, like, um, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't too bad. It was like seeing Okada and Ishii together. I think Bad Dude was kind of doing a lot of the heavy lifting because obviously... Um, Zack Knight kind of got put in last minute, wasn't it? And then it was previewing Okada and Tito for the night before. I mean, the night after, sorry. And um, having Suji come out after the match though was quite um interesting. Um, obviously, we'll get onto that in a bit, but that to me, that was the most interesting part really after the match, to be honest. Sorry, the, the last time I saw Zack Knight was in fighting for my family, so. Glad <laughs> to see my dog still on the scene doing his thing. No, I've actually never seen Zach Knight wrestle prior to this, so that was uh interesting. And you know what's funny? For the live audience, it probably would have been really cool to see Okada and Jonah face to face and you know the preview and yada yada. It would have been a really awesome moment. But for me, 
this worked because Jonah already got beat by Okada. We're watching this out of order. So well, <laughs> what do I want to watch Jonah and Okada again for? It's, you know, there's no need. I, he beat that man. It's over. <laughs> Benito finished clean. So um, this kind of made sense to me. It was like, oh, it, it, it's his underlings trying to get revenge. And it, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, match was fine. I think a lot of this for most of the fans was more so seeing Ishii and, uh, you know, Okada go out there and sort of do their thing. And I did like the post-match where they brought out Suji to kind of be the replacement for Jonah on night two. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was the whole, you know, mystery who's going to take Jonah's spot. And, yeah, it was cool that they chose Suji, who's been on excursion in Rev Pro. He's a member of the Legion, although we didn't really see him have any interactions with Gideon Gray on uh, this particular show. Uh, but, yeah, he's in, the, in that heel faction. He's been feuding with Shota Umino. They had a strap match not too long ago. Um, so, yeah, it was cool to see him. And this was kind of his first appearance on a New Japan-branded show since he's been on excursion. So uh, following that, we had the team, the Girls of Destiny team, Hekaleo, Jado, and Tamatanga, teaming up with Hiroshi Tanahashi. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Doc Gallows, Gato, Jay White, and Carl Anderson. 12 minutes and 15 seconds. The devil <laughs> and the, the distance. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't know the words. I just know where it says the devil. Then I go, Dang. I don't, because I don't know the words. So I just kind of groan. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of like. I wish I would have met Billy Anderson now because he's fucked off and it to the head. Like, I suppose this match doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things now, does it? I mean, <laughs> does any good brothers match ever matter in the grand scheme of things? No, <laughs> you know, I think everybody was hyped for Tamatonga, to be honest. I think that was the like everybody's singing around to you know, ain't nobody real and gorilla, like, everybody was hyped for that. And the match wasn't too bad, the interactions between Tama and Jay were quite fun. Uh, personally, but the, the crowd was pretty uh, pumped up for that interaction for Declaration of Power, to be honest. It was just a preview tag for like, Declaration of Power, wasn't it, to be honest? You know, um, this wasn't necessarily a great match or anything, but it was exactly what you just described, a preview tag. And I recall, like, when we were in St. Pete a couple of years ago, and they had a, you know, a elimination tag team match, Bull Club versus Hontai. Just seeing Tanahashi wrestle, it didn't have to be a high-profile match. It was like, holy shit, like, there's Tanahashi, you know, and there's Tamatonga, and there's Hikaleo, and, you know, there's the Good Brothers. And that's kind of what this match, for me, what it, it sort of was, was like, was it the... the shit brothers. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, for the for the live audience there, it's like, okay, they didn't give them maybe as high-profile matches as they did for Royal Quest 1. That's true. But this is a great opportunity for a lot of those fans who've never been to a live New Japan event to kind of see these guys go out there and, you know, make an appearance and do their thing. And crowd was very, very hot for Tamatanga, very, very hot for Tanahashi. And it also felt like Hikaleo, who also has spent some time over in Red Pro over the, you know, over the course of the pandemic, really all seemed to be getting awesome responses so yeah same here i thought it was a, a fun matchup good preview tag and you know we've we've also all saying you know ain't nobody real than gorilla live in person at a show new japan show it is fun to get behind uh tam tonga's music 
but yeah, Tama doing a great job getting over as a face. Hikaleo as well in the, his new role. And like you mentioned, previewing the Declaration of Power title match that happened already. Uh, but yeah, these guys, you know, went out here, did their thing. And like Josh said, it's, it's, this match was mainly about like just kind of seeing the names. I know a lot of people complained about some of the matches on this Royal Quest and they wanted more singles matches and more maybe bigger matches. But for people who, if this was your first time seeing a New Japan show live, then yeah, so your first time seeing Tanahashi, and that's a pretty big deal. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Do you think like Tamatonga going from heel to face has been one of the best success stories in New Japan in recent years? Personally, for me, it probably has been just to see that turnaround and in clap crowds as well in like the COVID era and like no cheering and things like that. The way they've done it has been masterful, personally, and that, that's just my opinion. I think. Well, you know, th- it's funny you kind of bring that up. Um, I had a conversation with Rich from uh, One Nation Radio. What's up, Rich? And um, we had discussed how in the old days, a company like WWF or WCW, they were really good at taking guys and bringing them in from the beginning of their careers, taking them through the tag routes, taking them into the mid-card status, and eventually elevating them to like be a real true main event player. And it's felt like since Edge in the mid-2000s, they really don't do that with almost anybody anymore. Like they have, they, they just don't have a track record of success unless you want to count like an NXT call, which they fuck most of those up anyways. Awesome. Um, but new Japan, we definitely see that sort of thing occur with the young lions, but it's over a very long period of time. And, you know, many of them that are in the system now, we're still kind of trying to figure out where they're going to wind up. I do think that, um, with Tamatanga, this is a guy that we've seen him from the early days and him come up through the rankings and be a fall guy in Bullet Club and then eventually be, you know, a tag team specialist and a, a mid-carter. And then now eventually, you know, he seems to be that upper mid, almost main event status. And uh, it's been pretty brilliant the way that they've kind of maneuvered him along. And he's also maneuvered his career along and, you know, um, glad that i'm here for it and i i can't wait to see if it's going to continue to progress or not yeah i thought the whole turn has been great you know tantong is a guy that we've kind of been hot and cold on just depending on what's been going on with him um especially you know you, you look back what was it g1 i think it was 2018 or it's the 2018 g1 yeah yeah where he just did not have, yeah just did not have a good g1 that year and you know they were doing the whole bull club civil war thing and I just wasn't into him then, but now, like, this turn, like, there's some guys that they work out better in certain positions, and I think Tama's one of these guys where he just works out better as a bay face. He has all that that fire. He has the, kind of the quick, evasive moves, but with his history in New Japan, you know, he's built that, you know, respect with the crowd. The crowd kind of sees him as a homegrown kind of guy, and so I think all the, the pieces are aligned together perfectly for him right now and really enjoying his run. And like I said two weeks ago, had this not been – the build to Wrestle Kingdom, I think giving him a shot with the title would have been something cool to do. He's the only person I see wrestling in Nikes as well, pretty much in New Japan. I don't know if that's an odd thing to notice, but I did ask him about it and, um, when I met him, and I thought that was just really interesting because obviously I don't know what the difference between boots and trainers are. Or oh. the same sports you to wrestling. The, the, the main issue uh, when you're wrestling, you want to make sure you have a flat, uh soul 
so that you don't rip or tear the canvas and also have good traction. So, I mean, um, you look at like John Cena, he, he wears, you know, like Jordans and some other guys, you know, there are definitely some shoes out there that you could wear that have flat soles. But other than that, they're going to, it's going to be like a boxing or a wrestling boot, you know? So then uh, following that semi-main event of the evening, we had Will Ospreay defeating shooter Shota Umino by referee's decision, 15 minutes and 30 seconds. I thought this match was awesome. I thought it was one of uh, Shooter's best singles matches since he's been on excursion. And kind of a, a key to the story of this match, uh, his dad, Red Shoes Uno, was the referee and has really has not been seen on screen with Shooter since... Um, Shooter's been on excursion and developed this new character. So that that played into the the finish of the match. Uh, but overall, like I said, thought Shooter looked really good here. There's a lot of great uh, back and forth sequences here. Yeah, bang bang Shooter. Um, Shooter's really interesting. Just where he's at right now, and Osprey is just making everybody look good from like Finney to just anybody he's in the ring with. Like Osprey is just. You can have a match with a broomstick probably and get a three-star match out of it. So, Shooter, I know everyone's comparing him to like a young Tanahashi and it's just like interesting just to, I don't know why everybody's comparing him to Tana, maybe because of the look, but he wrestles a bit differently, I think. And um, the finish was a bit odd. Everybody in the crowd was like, oh, you know, Osprey's raining down elbows and like um, Red Shoes comes in to stop it. And like my thesis was like he's protecting his kid from mm. getting more injured, and that could play into a longer term story when Shooter comes back to New Japan and maybe like challenges Osprey without like um, his dad being the referee. Maybe it's like a little, you know what I mean? They're giving them little nuggets or whatever they call them. Yeah, little thesis. Like it might be one of them because a lot of people were just wondering what happened at the finish. But obviously, I looked at it from a storyline perspective. Probably. Yeah, at the um, end of last year, these guys had a match in RevPro that was pretty well received. In fact, I think generally speaking, um, most of the reviews I'm seeing liked the first match better. But um, I'll tell you this. Almost the entire time I was watching this match, I thought that this was the superior match until the finish. Like, the whole time I was like, how could anybody rate this worse? Like, Shota was in much better shape. The flow of the match was much better. Uh, Umino didn't look like a guy that was literally, literally being carried by Osprey like he did in November of last year. He looked like a guy that was every step on par with him. Even if they weren't going to the tip-top level of a, of a match, he was right there at that top, you know, main event level quality with him. And he didn't look out of place at all. A lot of his strikes were just super crisp. The timing was awesome. The match was fantastic. But down the stretch, they go into that sequence where at the end of it, um, Osprey ends up hitting him with the high angle uh, power, power bomb, the Liger bomb, no, and, then, and then ends up on his back and ends up pounding him out. And Red Shoes did, fin- did call, you know, call for the bell very quickly, which I, I definitely left the English crowd that was there you know, upset. And also, uh, well, I should say UK. I don't know what the proper <laughs> term is. But uh, UK is fine. <laughs> UK. But, um, you know, I do think that the difference here, okay, so like this, 
this finish was probably more flat and probably the reason why it's, the match overall is receiving a little slightly lesser reviews. But aside from that, I think this is a more important move because I'm sure Shoto Mino is not far away from coming back to New Japan. And this is only the second time in his whole career that Red Shoes has actually ref any of his matches. The first one was during his uh, debut in Shinjuku Face. So there, there is an element that maybe uh, Red Shoes called for the bell prematurely because he was protecting his son. And that might be a conflict of interest when he comes back to the company. The other reality, though, is it might have nothing to do with that because there was criticism earlier in the year when Sonata got hurt in the match against Will and they weren't calling for the bell and he was just beating the shit out of him and ended up like, you know, putting him on the shelf, essentially, whether that was intentional or not, he ended up getting injured. So um, I also think that they could go that way with it or even possibly play a little bit with both sides. But as far as the match goes, very, just an excellent, excellent back and forth. And, uh, I think that this this gave me a lot more confidence about Shoto Mino's future when he comes back. And last thing, Jeremy, before I kick it to you, the crowd on fire. They, I mean, for both guys, but especially for Osprey, he feels like next level over there right now. Yeah, Osprey's reaction was just uh, incredible. Obviously, the big Osprey, 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 Osprey chance, and they're all behind Will Osprey. And I totally agree with you, Josh. I agree. Overall, I like this match better than the Rev Pro match, even with the kind of wonky finish. Like you mentioned, Shooter was an incredible shape. His crowd connection is there with the whole, you know, the Shooter chance and that John Moxley connection. Um, it was just better wrestled, in my opinion. Like you said, that Rev Pro match, I felt like that was a complete carry job, whereas Shooter was holding his own, and I felt, in this match. And then they they come down to the end there where he's raining the elbows on the back and it stops very quickly. And like you were mentioning, yeah, the, the English commentary team, the whole match, Chris Charlton was kind of speculating, like, you know, Shooter has the referee in his back pocket. Like, this is unfair for your dad to referee your match. And then he stoles elbows, and Red Shoes calls it immediately. And they were kind of speculating, you know, hey, he's trying to protect this kid. And like you mentioned, Josh, throwing back the Sonata match, we saw what happened there and how he kind of let Osprey unleash on Sonata, which ended up putting Sonata on the shelf. So, like you mentioned, they can go either way, but they're, I think it seems like they were kind of leaning more on, like, you know, Red Shoes kind of using his power to kind of protect his son and get the win there. But it also kind of leaves, like, an out for Shooter for a potential rematch. So, like, Shooter can be like, hey, you know, I didn't tap out. You didn't pin me. Like, I could have lasted a lot longer. My, my dad was the one that was trying to protect me. And I think eventually I could see sometime, sometime down the line the Shooter beating Will Ospreay finally in a big match. My, my feeling is... If they bring Shota Umino back in day one to New Japan and they start off with this feud, obviously he's going to lose the first match. And, well, maybe not, but more than likely to me that he's either going to lose the first match or he's going to lose the program. And this would just kind of be a stepping stone to get there. I'd much rather prefer that he comes back through an alternate route having nothing to do with Will Ospreay. And then this is just a breadcrumb for later on when they do, once he's had a little bit of seasoning and they're ready to do the real program. And it's like, you never even really did beat me back then. It was a bad stoppage. And it's like very questioned as to if they hadn't stopped it, what would have happened, you know? And I feel like that might be, give it a little bit more juice down the line as opposed to just 
bringing him right back into this, you know, saying four months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And like, I was listening to one of the previous shows and they kind of built this as the main event, didn't they? And I think they did a good job of putting it as a semi main. Obviously, we'll get on to the next match in a minute. But, um, yeah, the whole Osprey chance and just that's just a natural British thing, and it just to chat in your hometown people's name, I guess. But I suppose the second night was a bit mixed, but yeah, I'll leave it at that and we'll get to the next match. Yeah, so the next match, the main event, the the highly uh, polarizing matchup here for the IWGP heavyweight tag team title match. The team of FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Hardwood, they defeated the Aussie Open team of Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis 31 minutes and 59 seconds. We know we saw on Twitter after this match happened, uh, FTR uh, bald, Dax Hardwood, um, you know, talking about how much people need to watch this match and getting a lot of praise. We saw the cage match ratings from people within the live who had it up there like 9.70 and we've heard all kinds of things about just how incredible this match was live and now that the match has been released people have been watching it. some people have been lower uh on the match some people have been super high on the match uh so bash you were there live from the live experience to you what do you think about this match do you think this is a, a match of the year contender being there live probably yeah it- blew everybody's collective minds at the same time and i've got a, like a little inside story about the color that happened so um dax is on the apron and uh, he's asking for a towel to wipe the blood off but the person on the ring apron i mean the ring attendant she's only got a bottle of water she's trying to give him the water he's like no no i don't want a water i want a towel and this guy's back to give him the british flag and he's like, no, no, I'm not wiping my blood. <laughs> it's and like a like, Chris Jericho thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, this, I was like, I should have brought a towel from the fucking hotel now and just chucked it at him because I was that close. You know, I was like a roll. I wasn't in the front row, I was a roll behind. And, but then I think, like, without that, if you then wipe the blood off or whatever, I don't think it'll be as highly rated as it would be. Like, I don't know how the color happened or who got busted up, and they both got busted up pretty bad. But, um, collectively, I think it's one of the best matches of the year tag matches or like singles in New Japan, personally. Just the sequences and the moves that were going on, and just, just the whole experience of it. And the live crowd was losing their shit. I mean, like, literally losing their shit. That mind blowing one guy next to me is like, oh, after every near finish, and I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> man, I don't even, I don't drink it because uh, when I was in the hospital, I have, when I was in the coma, they gave me a detox, so I'm not allowed to drink anymore. So um, with COVID, they gave me like loads of different things, so I'm not allowed to drink anymore. So I was sober throughout it all, and if I'd say being sober, if you're drunk and you're watching it, it's probably extra enjoyment. But being sober <laughs> and being in the moment. And losing my shit, like, because I don't do that after I'm quite a calm person. And I was like, oh, my God, like, it's just incredible from start to finish. Like, I don't know, like, what what is, like, watching it on tape, it might have been different. Yeah, um, this was a a very interesting match. And this is something we, I guess, we need to address now. We probably should have addressed it before we even... 
started our review. It took 15 days for New Japan to get this show up on NJPWworld.com. And I understand some of the reasons for that. Like, they didn't have Kevin Kelly and Chris available to do the commentary uh, because of travel issues, that sort of thing. They also, you know, said that there was that uh, the Crystal Palace is notorious for having bad internet and, uh, you know, issues with broadcasting. So they were very nervous that that might come into play. Plus, it was very clear that this wasn't New Japan's video team that was out there. This was either Rev Pros or some other, you know, third party that they hired in the uh, in the state or yeah, the country. I think, it was, I think it was Rev Pros, to be honest. Well, the only reason I speculate is because it, it did seem to be of a better quality than what we've seen out of Rev Pro pretty much in the last like three or four years. So that's good. But um, at the same time, it really honestly shouldn't take 15 days to get your show up on the network, especially when it's two major shows that are being, you know, advertised and, and built up and, and, I think the main thing is the problem is when the shows are bleeding into other shows. Uh, Yeah. Location of power and like, you know, it's got ramifications for other things. It's kind of like then these shows become mute points now. They're just like. Right. Well, even if they like this one in a lot of ways didn't necessarily feel like everything on the show was um, it didn't feel like a non-canon show, like a Saudi Arabia show where it's just happening on its own. But there was a little bit of an element to that, so that maybe helped the blow. But at the end of the day, just from an optic standpoint, it shouldn't take 15 days to get a show like this up on your network. WWE and AEW, and I, I hate to throw out comparisons, but they're the market leaders. They're your big you know competition. In fact, I'll just say it too. Noah, for instance, or Stardom, they wouldn't take 15 days to get this show up either. That's end not only what you brought up bash the fact that it you know messes with the continuity of the shows but it's also the idea that fan interest is at a peak at a certain point and when other shows have already happened and the rest of the world's moved on 15 days later it's like how many people that could have and would have watched this and maybe subscribed to your network or you know gotten into new japan or whatever how much how much of that was diminished and i would guess probably a lot to be honest it's like the same with wrestling it's what have you done for me lately and it because it moves so yep. quickly and so cyclical but that 15 day delay between people like tweeting it about it and the live people enjoying it and everyone's like oh you need to watch this and it's not there available for you to watch right unless somebody's gonna you know shitty pilot job of it on their phones but <laughs> you must, you know, you got 4K60 on your phone these days. I mean, the Apple phone can flipping probably wouldn't have taken that much. Right. And you could have watched it pretty much in decent quality. But, you know, at the end of the day, like 15 days is a long time. Two weeks is, is so long in pro wrestling because everything's just flipped on its head. Yeah. It, it's it's embarrassing and it's unacceptable. Jeremy, what, what were your thoughts Sorry. on that? Yeah, well, I mean, we're in the year 2022. Like, this is not the tape trading era. Like, we should. That's what I felt like. We're waiting, <laughs> waiting on somebody to send me the, the tape of, of this FTR match so we can finally watch it and then trade well, them. Bro, something you about. saw, you saw my joke that I was like, 
Backlund and, and Ric Flair, you know? <laughs> right. Like It's like Tom McGee and Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I totally get, like you're saying, Josh, about, you know, all right, we know the building's not good for broadcasting live. Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they didn't want to, to air it live. I get that because we know that the Royal Quest 1 2019. Right. That tons of production issues for that show. Um, so I get that, but however, I still felt like there are other methods you could use to get that up faster. Um, and if really getting Kevin Kelly and uh, Chris Strong on the call was um, that big, like I don't know, I felt like it should have it been a priority thing to kind of get them to record that, or maybe they sh- they should have used a, a Rev Pro commentary team or something because I mean they could have recorded this a uh, live tape model where you're recording it as it's live and then you go back later and upload it so that it's up immediately. Uh, and I feel like that would have been a, a better process here instead of waiting 15 days. And again, I don't get like why it took, and I don't know if it was the, the commentary that was the main holdup editing. Like I didn't really see too much editing. Cause I mean, there's the camera work was kind of shaky in a lot of matches. They're, they're, well, um, I, I, can, I can tell you, Jeremy, that I heard some things, while you were out this past week, I was the connect. I was the I was the head <laughs> honcho, the one people were talking to. But, uh, you know, I, I did hear that there were, like, production snafus that were going on behind closed door prior to them actually being able to release it. So gotcha. that, if that you know, on, on the show, was did you see the Enoki tribute, or was that not on the... They didn't include it in either show. And I'm assuming it's most likely because they did one at Declaration of Power. Yeah, yeah, because obviously there was one on the, on the day, uh, right? I mean, everybody came out, and obviously there was Tanahashi and Okada in the ring, and they did the temple salute for, you know, obviously me being a Muslim, I'll have to call him by his Muslim name, unfortunately. Uh, Muhammad is saying, you know, keep rest in peace. Um, but yeah, um, that was, I, I was wondering, because obviously I haven't seen them back, unfortunately, yet. So I'm doing everything by memory. Um that that was the tribute on the the probably did cut that out because they had the declaration of power. Sorry. Oh no, yeah, I, I noticed that. that. I, I noticed that too that they didn't um have that. Now, as far as this match goes, the other thing I was gonna say is cage match. Get your fucking house in order, okay? Because things have been going crazy. <laughs> Not so much on the New Japan side, but I think you guys got bots. I think there's literal bots. I think they're they're higher, and no one else wants to say it. Everyone wants to tiptoe around, like, "Oh, things have been weird on Cage Match." It's bots. People are buying and paying for ratings on Cage Match out of nowhere. I don't care. I can be the tinfoil hat guy, but here's another issue: you cannot make a show eligible to be rated when it's not available on tape. There was like sixty or seventy people that already like voted on this match before anyone could see it. And it had a 9.7. They were saying that this was one of the 10 greatest matches that ever <laughs> occurred in the history of all of professional wrestling. It's crazy. Now, uh, the, the score has gone down to what I think is probably a pretty appropriate score. It's like a 9.46, which is crazy high. And um, I love this match. I didn't think I was going to love this match, mainly because of, the high bar that FTR and Aussie Open have both set this year in prior matches. And then just the rhetoric of what I was hearing about how great this match was, 
And then kind of like thinking about the the FTR shtick, which I'm not really that big on. It's just like, you know, them kind of like being overhyped and and in a lot of ways, like just sort of like self-promoting to a this Zenith level, like they're fucking Bret Hart or something. <laughs> and so it made me feel like I was not going to like, I'll probably like the match, but I'm probably not going to love it. So I went into this sort of with a negative attitude, but bro, from the, from before the bell starts till the match ends, this is one of the greatest tag team matches yeah. I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, I think it's the second best tag team match I've seen this year. Only, only behind FTR and Briscoe's one. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about that. I was about to ask you about that. The, this match is incredible. Jeremy, I know you're not quite as high as I am on this, but I think you also enjoyed the match a lot too. Yeah. First, let me throw my rating out. So people kind of know where I'm at. Cause I might, I might sound <laughs> negative. I, <laughs> I went four and a half stars on the match. I, I didn't go four and three quarters. I didn't go five. Um, for me, there were just some things and because of the hype probably, um, and because it's been out there, I've heard so many reviews of the match. Like I think I was more, nitpicky on certain stuff than I probably would have been had I watched it live without any spoilers and stuff like that. Well, uh, what were you, well, I guess give your score, but also after that, what were you nitpicky on? Because maybe there were things that I overlooked. I'd, you know, definitely reconsider it. Yeah. For me, I just felt like some of the heat segments were way too long. Like there was a spot where like, they were like getting heat on, um, on cash and mm-hmm. like you were trying and trying to get the, the, the hot tag of Dax. And I get it. That's, part of a match you you build it up you want the face to finally get that hot tag but to me it got to a point of like i was like all right just let him tag dax so we can like get <laughs> on to the next segment of the match um and then finally dax come in and then i thought some of the double team stuff were a little clunky like it wasn't as smooth or crisp as i've seen um aussie open b and i don't know if that's because you know the first time working ftr or what it was but for me some of it was a little clunky um and then I just, there was something about the pacing of the match for me. Like there was, it went on. I mean, obviously the thirty-one minute match, and I just felt like the first half was really, really slow and dragged for me. And then kind of halfway in, and kind of picked up a little bit more. And then towards the closing stretch, you had all the the big false finishes stuff like that. And then it was more of a kind of a high pace match up there. I think the 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 crowd obviously had that. You know, they could talk about the fifth element or whatever it's called. Like the crowd that night for that match between Aussie Open and FDR, everybody's voices were gone by the time we walked out. And like somebody was playing FDR's theme in the car and everybody just started dancing. <laughs> That's how happy everybody was. <laughs> like they were like, oh, okay, we've, okay, the rest of the card might not have been that great, but that for that, for me, spending that money probably was like worth it in the end, personally. Yeah, and the crowd, uh, the crowd was electric throughout the whole match. They were standing on their feet for majority yeah. of the match. So, yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, I thought I mean, was, overall, I mean, it was a great match. I mean, four and a half is, is a great rating. I know some people might yeah. be like, why are you going so low? Like, I, I think four and a half is still a a fringe match of the year contender. You can throw it up in there uh, as match of the year. I mean, I like FTR Briscoe's one better. I like Young Bucks first Lucha Bros. Uh, from that live rampage in Ontario better. Um, but again, I will still probably have this up there as in the top 10 tag team matches of this year. You're wrong. My, only my opinion matters. And 
<laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, I did. I did think this smoked. Uh, Bucks FTR two. I did. Um, I liked this better. Now I will say this, from a move standpoint, and from a fast paced, high octane action, like high spot style match, velocities in Aussie Open is better if that's what you like. But I, I may maybe I'm just. Uh, a little di- well i think a couple things number one i've always been someone where if the crowd is electric it's gonna it's going to get me more i'm just always higher on matches like that that's probably why i love like say cody and dustin more than other people do like if the crowd gets behind a match i'm probably gonna be more inclined to get behind it is that because you're more invested in it yourself no i just think it's better I okay. think wrestling. Right. I, I think wrestling is all predicated on crowd response, and the more the crowd responds, you know, I, I think it's the more exciting and and interesting it is. It's probably why I like 1980s wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing, though, is for me, I felt like this was the smoothest and like most purposeful I'd seen FTR work in a very very long time it very much reminded me of the matches they had with like American alpha and DIY in uh, NXT back in the day. And they like, they had incredible chain sequences for like the first eight minutes of the match where it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And they're doing like, they definitely worked this as a hybrid between your standard Southern style tag, but also with the, the, the match layout and pacing of, your main event style new japan match just done as a tag and so they really built it in a way that most tag team matches in new japan don't get an opportunity to be built uh it did go like 31 but i i don't know i felt like this match was like 15 minutes it just breezed by and then the the last thing was how cohesive the storytelling elements were it just it was flowing so beautifully and then like back and forth and back and forth and even uh, I do agree a little bit, Jeremy. I thought that the heat spot with uh, which with with hair was a little too long. <laughs> but the, the the reaction that they got when Dax got into the ring was just crazy. And then that sort of actually led into the blood, and then also the physicality, like in the early spots, like where where they start brawling, like Dungzilla and uh and Dax, like literally draw blood from each other's chests. They're chopping, bro, yeah. FTR, they're 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 very talented and those guys are incredible. But bro, I don't think they realized how bad they were going to get their asses kicked by Mark Davis. He was fucking them <laughs> up for real. He's become like a beast. Like suddenly he's just like all jacked up and massive, and his mustache is like his mustache is something else. he was just laying into everything (laughs) on them to a point where i was like bro they're getting their asses beat well i think it started with dax dax was laying those chops into dunkzilla and dunk was like okay yeah we we chopping okay we chopping today oh we we chopping (laughs) the other funny thing too is like um those guys like aussie open are so long that from like a kayfabe perspective, it's kind of interesting how guys will think they're cutting them off and keeping them from getting the tag, and then they can still reach because they're such big dudes. Like, I love that aspect here too, but I, I don't know. I thought this match was super inventive. It pulled out all the old tropes that you see in, in a lot of the FTR matches, and 
and uh, everything like that. The one thing, the only thing I didn't like about it, and it's the one thing that they do in all their big matches, and it it works for a lot of people, but I think it's fucking stupid, is when they do the double submission spot in the ring. Mm. Because first off, <laughs> the second team shouldn't even be allowed to be in the ring. So how are you going to call for a submission while the other two dudes are still in the ring illegally? They need to first leave the ring. All right, they are. No, it's not. It's not a JR thing. It's the rules of fucking wrestling. <laughs> then the second thing is, homeboy tries to go for a tap, and his partner stops him by grabbing his hand. <laughs> How can you stop someone from tapping? They are trying to make the the proclamation that they want out of the match. You holding their hand up doesn't mean that they they have any less submitted from wrestling. Like, but I did like where he slapped up his partner you know, to get him to go. But I do think that that's one of the stupidest spots in all of wrestling because it makes no sense. Like, just by stopping the dude's hand from hitting the the mat means he didn't give up. Like, he clearly gave up. He was fucking tapping. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mind that spot too much. And I actually liked the the inclusion of of the slap, especially with Anoki's passing, you know, that the slap giving the power to get to the rope with the rope break. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of Anoki, but yeah, that, like he did fire him up, and it was it was fucking awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty dope. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it, it's a great matchup. I know people are going to be all over the board fit. Uh, we did have a question here from Reddit user Ghost of Doc Gonzo. He said, while I thought that FTR versus Aussie Open match was great, I think that people are way overrating it. It's currently the highest rated match on Cage Match for this year. And I'm not even sure if it would make my top 10. Am I not seeing something here? Or is everyone on cage match smoking crack? That's an interesting thing. I didn't even realize that it's the highest rated. Actually, I don't think it is the highest rated match on cage match. Because it's not even the highest rated New Japan match of the year. Yeah, maybe when he was looking at it, it was higher. But yeah, I know know it has gone down some. Okay. But what are your guys' thoughts on that? Uh, wrestling is perspective in it, so everybody has a different perspective on what they're watching. And unfortunately, you know, if the consensus is saying that it, it's great, like you were saying earlier, if there's like a huge human consensus saying, "Oh, that was amazing," then like somebody's somebody else is smoking crack in it. Everybody, like the whole human consensus can't be smoking drugs at the same time, can they? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the dopamine hit was so good from that match that we're all high as fuck in it from it. So it's one or the other, to be honest. But uh, for me, wrestling's perspective and it's everybody has their own opinions on it. And it, if you didn't like it, you didn't like it. But it's tough shit, in it? Unfortunately. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I, I I got cage match pulled up right now. So the yeah, I pulled it up too. <laughs> yeah, the the Briscoes match, uh, the first one is the number one match ranked on cage is match. Still, this is the fourth highest rated match of the whole year. Yeah, that's high. That's really high. high. Yeah, I mean, I know I see a lot of singles matches on here that I would rate higher than probably both of the the tag matches, but. Again, like Bash was saying, wrestling is subjective. Um, it, it's a great match, and a lot of people think it's higher than some people, but I think it's they're definitely in the question for match of the year. I'll tell you, Jeremy, I don't, I don't have that many singles matches I would rate higher than this. I'm not going full five on it, but I am somewhere. I'm probably four and three quarters, but like, it, it's 
I don't know. I could be persuaded to go five. I thought this was a nearly flawless, nearly perfect uh, match. It's definitely the best tag match in New Japan this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And like I said, I was fully sober, so not on new drugs. So <laughs> I also I also think that some <laughs> so of this might so. some of this might have to do with uh people's perceptions. Like, you know, there's FTR are super over right now. And people that like them really rate their, their high end matches very high. And I've noticed that some people who don't like them or don't like their style of working are maybe a little bit lower on on their stuff this year and it's yeah. it's kind of like what you said bash it, it is perspective me personally i uh, i do think like that this is one of the best tag team matches i've seen i i i don't know if it's in that top tier with like holy demon army and you know super generation or if it's on the same levels like bucks versus omega and page okay. i i don't think it's there but it's probably like just a notch below that and um i i was blown away i i can't give this and it's just, it's so funny because I didn't want to like this. I didn't think I was going to like this because every sign pointed to being overrated, overhyped, but it, it lived up to it completely for me. I'm, I'm blown away by both both teams, all four I think, guys. I think it was like me and everybody was like Breaking Bad is the most amazing thing you'll ever watch. And like, I've watched The Wire and Soprano, so don't tell me that Breaking Bad's on that level. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's on that level now. Fuck's sake, what was I doing flipping five years ago? Do you know what I mean? So, what, yeah. One, one last sorry. thing I had a thought on this, though, is when the match ended and Dax decides to cut a promo, and part of that promo is how they're not getting booked on AEW enough to his liking. Bro. You're a wrestler. You just had one of the greatest matches, quote unquote, of all time. Cut a fucking wrestling promo <laughs> that actually gets like gets you over, like that tells a story that's like entertaining. Like uh, this uh, is uh, what I don't like about these dudes. Don't come out here and fucking whine that you're not getting booked, brother, brother, brother. It's so stupid. It, <laughs> it, that literally made me think like you know what, maybe I don't like these guys for this match that much. <laughs> I, I think they gave the belts to some, like, I think it was like, um, he had, is in a wheelchair or something, and they gave him, like, they were going through the crowd and everything afterwards. I don't know if that was shown on the, afterwards. But uh, they gave the belts to some kid uh, in a wheelchair, and they like, um, gave him all the belts. And I thought that was pretty nice, to be fair, you know. Yeah, that was yeah, but we, we didn't see that shit. We just yeah. saw them complaining. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean. Yeah, so like when things get like chopped and cut, like things are out of context, aren't they? So you know, we, you know, if he's probably being a grifter like Anderson, but Anderson's the grifter's grifter, and he's been raking in the money. <laughs> Sorry. You're good. But uh yeah, so that wraps up uh night one. I think we could probably breeze through uh night two yeah. a little bit faster because there's, there's a lot more uh multi man stuff on this night on the undercard. Mm-hmm. So uh night two opened up with Doki and El Esperado. They defeated the team of Michael Oku and Robbie X, nine minutes and thirty three seconds. Again, thought it was another good opening matchup and kind of highlighting these teams and who knows? Again, maybe this team of Oku and Robbie X is a team that we could see in Super Junior Tag League. Yeah, everyone loves the Doki Choki. <laughs> uh, uh, that was the main part for all of it. 
Doki was one of the most. I I know that like people didn't quote unquote go to his. Uh, he was over meet and greet, I guess, but he was so fucking over on tape. I don't know. He was over with the British people. I don't know why nobody went. I I went to see him. It was lovely. Seems like <laughs> just genuine top log, to be honest. So he had a kebab. So I had to tell him it's like from Turkish ancestry. It's not British. Like everything's fucking everything that's claimed to be British is stolen. Basically, so uh, yeah, I said that's Turkish, and, and he understood. And I was like, yeah, but yeah, the kebab. That, that in my books, that's fine. That's how this podcast is. Everything we do, we steal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, following that, we had Lij team of Hiromo and Sonata. They defeated the Young Guns, Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs, who is the current Rev Pro. Uh, he is not <laughs> cruiserweight champion. That man is not a cruiserweight. <laughs> At all, like not even. It's a joke. It's like saying Alex Zane's a cruiserweight right now too. Like these, come on, dude. You guys are big ass motherfuckers. Like, what are we talking about? I know. I was, no. I was confused at first. I was like, is he holding the other guy's <laughs> belt? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, the young guns worked hard. I've never seen them before, but they had the working shoes on and they're trying to impress somebody. So um, that's that's what I remember from it. And seeing the Roman was. Seeing Haromu, isn't it? Yeah, alive. Yeah, Haromu so. and Sonata were super over. Big reactions for them. Yeah, Young Guns. Yeah, they worked super hard. Um, oh. and you know they're a team who I think they were. It, it was kind of teasing storyline like they were going to join United Empire at first. I think it was, and then Aussie Open was the team that actually went going. So, um, they're a team that's kind of in that top mix there in Rev Pro, and they they feuded with Aussie Open and some of the, the other teams there. So you know, again, we got World Tag League. Coming up and Super Junior Tag League coming up, you need need some fresh teams. Um, I don't know if any of these guys will be coming over, but I mean, it would be cool to have a team like the Young Guns in there mixing it up. So, following that, we had the IWGP Women's Title Tournament first round matchup with Jazzy Gabbert defeating Ava White 10 minutes and 34 seconds. With this win, Jazzy will go on to face Kyrie in the next round of the tournament. Uh, I just said uh, I feel like like Ava White. She's kind of like new on the scene, and I, I think she was doing like the glamour modeling thing before she got into wrestling. And uh, what I noticed, like her ring gear, she kind of kept putting it up during the match, like a lot of the time, like after every spot, and it's kind of threw me off. Kind of, uh, she reminds me of like the look of her reminds me of Charlotte for some reason. I don't yeah. know why, because she's like quite beautiful and torn and whatever, but. Obviously, the Jazzy Gabbard being in stardom before was kind of the right move, I suppose. Because, um, yeah, she didn't, she, she made me able to appreciate her, to be fair. That's what they called her. Anyway, I don't think she, she did bad. She's a rookie, and it's like I didn't know who she was beforehand. And obviously, a lot of people dipped off, but it wasn't what it was, in it? So, this match is interesting because. Um, I, I saw a lot of negativity online with the ratings. And on the one hand, watching it, I think it is warranted from a certain kind of perspective. Like, because this was very clunky and definitely, I think uh, Ava White actually does have quite a bit of an upside to her. But like you mentioned, she's only been wrestling for a year or two. Yeah, yeah. So she's extremely green. And this is kind of what you expect from most wrestlers with her experience level, especially coming up during the pandemic era, which can't have been easy whatsoever. But 
at the same time, this was pretty clunky and discombobulated. There's a lot of uh, miscommunications and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there's one spot when I think Jazzy's dropped her like right in the head. Yeah, yeah right. That was scary. Yeah. Maybe like that, probably that's the thing I remember from it. I was like, what the fuck is she? All right. Like, you know, it was just like you said, it was quite clunky. But, yeah. That being said, I like this match. <laughs> There's something about a clusterfuck when, especially with women, when they go out there and they just start hitting each other hard and then they start dropping each other like it's all Japan classics, like King's Road style. I am all about that. And Jazzy Gabbert hit her with a reverse kneeling pile driver, a gonzo bomb, if you will. Yes. And Ava White picked her up and just fucking dropped her on her head. <laughs> I love this match. Listen. If we're gonna watch, if we're gonna watch, um, you know, because I do think that there's a big difference between watching like Joshi wrestling, where it's like crisp and beautiful and hard hitting yeah, and like super professional. But if we're gonna watch UK women's wrestling, where it's not that good, and they're gonna beat the fuck out of each other like this, I'm about it all day, all day. I liked this match, Josh. I'm I'm in agreement with you there. Like I oh. I, I, I I saw the negative ratings. <laughs> I saw the negative ratings online, people saying this is one of the worst matches ever, blah, blah, blah. And I saw all the negativity and I was watching and I was like, Mm-mm. it's not so bad. Like, again, like Ava, she's green, very new to wrestling. Like, she has that dancer's background. And like you mentioned, Bash has a similar look to Charlotte. And I think there's a ton of upside. Like, if she can get some more dates and get some more experience, I think. Um, she can come a long way in, in women's wrestling, but uh, for this matchup here, I mean, for ten minutes, for her being inexperienced, I thought it was a a pretty good matchup. I mean, like you mentioned, Josh, they were hitting each other hard. Um, Ava's very athletic and flexible, and she was using her her background to do some uh, pretty um, cool reversals and spots there. And like you mentioned, they were just dropping each other <laughs> on their heads of big suplexes and stuff like that. And uh, Jazzy Gabbard hit the uh, the regal plex towards the end there, high angle regal plex to get the win. Yeah, I think that that was actually uh, I don't know what the nuance is, but Chris Charlton called it uh, an Enoki suplex as like a, a tribute to him because of his passing. Um, the the spot where Jazzy got dropped was supposed to be a gotch style pile driver, which just fucking it was like a gotch. But then, like a high angle, like almost like a power bomb, but on her head, it was. Crazy. It was so like, everybody's like, "What the, like, what the fuck?" There was there was it. one funny um, thing where, like, right after this match, Ava White like sent out a tweet was like, "I just had the first singles ma- single women's match in the history of New Japan like ever," and it was like mind blown. And there was like hundreds and hundreds of people that liked it. And people were like, you go, girl, you know, history, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I like tweeted from the account. It was like the first women's singles match was in 1987 between Harley Saito and Miss A. (laughs) (laughs) They ended up, she took it down. She took down the toy. (laughs) But with with that being said, I think it's something um, a lot of people wouldn't know that. Because obviously New Japan's not a women's promotion. They've only had, I don't know, less than 50 or around 50-ish women's matches in total. Depending on what you define as being New Japan, whether you count the Inoki Dojo, whether you count the ROH co-branded shows in North America, whether you count the Inoki Produce show. So it's, it's a very rare thing to even be a woman wrestling in New Japan. And then 
to add on top of that a singles match, which there's there has not been a lot of those. So, and then this definitely was the first women's match period in the UK for New Japan ever um, at all. So it was historic to a certain extent, and um, yeah, I, I I saw a lot of upside there, and I thought it was a uh, you know it was good. Yeah. So um, moving on from that, we had the United Empire team, Gideon Gray, Great Ocon, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, and Will Ospreay. They defeated the team of FTR, Gabriel Kidd, Ricky Knight Jr., and Chota Umino, 16 minutes, 57 seconds. Uh, really fun multi-man matchup here. Bash, I think this is what you were kind of talking about earlier with the United Empire, just how they work together so well. And I thought this... Uh, yeah, but straight balls to the walls, just action, just non-stop and... Now, after the, the match between Ozzy Open and FTR the night before, I think that that's when the crowd started really kind of coming up, I think, um, when this, like, uh, tag match happened. Like, it was just just great from start to finish, brilliant spots, and having Osprey in there was, was great as well. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. This was my... I liked this multi-man match even better than the uh, LIJ one from the first night that I uh, kind of... Uh, gave some praise to so i thought this was excellent and the the finish the fact that they had great ocon beat ricky knight jr thus establishing him as being a future challenger for the red pro undisputed british heavyweight championship i thought that was a really cool move as well so yeah i, th- I thought that was interesting just like but nobody knows where it's where it's gone unfortunately because like, ocon's pretty much in japan right now so might be on a roll quest two and three or whatever. I don't know. I, I, think, don't I, think, they're doing I think they're going to do a Rev Pro title match. I think Great Khan's going to go on a Rev Pro show to challenge RKJ. That's what it sounds like to me, too. And it sounds like it's going to happen fairly quickly. So, which uh, o- Ocon has he was pretty over on these shows and he's gotten over in the UK crowd with his time there on excursion. He, so he made a lot of money, he made a lot of spare money. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He, he was the grifter's grifter on the meet and greets. He was like signing people's names in Japanese on the on the posters and kind of like he's it was like to me, here's my merch. Do you want to buy anything? I was like, no, sir, I'm a, I said, no, sir, I'm a peasant. <laughs> uh, oh hell! Like you know, people bowing down to him and stuff. And uh, the guy's over here. Uh, he's over pretty much everywhere apart from Japan, personally, for what I think. But maybe because like the cheering crowds, and I just wish they put more of his like you know the stuff he did done behind the scenes, or like he does like you know when he saved that girl or something. You know, maybe they should put more of that into his like. I know they had that piece of paper that he got you know com- commandeered or something like that for saving that girl but i think this is just he's quite baby faced to be honest yeah but, well, I, i'm looking at it sorry like, no you're good i, I think view. yeah i think part of the issue is yeah a lot of the stuff that he's doing is baby faced stuff and getting good reactions and right now he's part of a more heel uh, leaning unit and they, they want him to be uh, a bad guy so it's kind of hard to be like oh yeah he saved a girl but you need to boo him. Um, and then in Japan right now, I think it's it's kind of hard. It's been hard to gauge because obviously we haven't had cheering crowds. But the few cheering shows that we've had now, I feel like every time Ocon is out there, he got great reactions, especially in Cork and Hall, which is kind of like the, the smarky crowd in, in Japan. They really – he had a great reception there, and I think he's super over. I will say I do think he needs to get pushed a little bit more. 
I feel like they need to put the foot on the gas with him. I feel like they've kind of gone really slow with his push. Uh, so moving on from that, we had another uh, multi-man matchup here. We had uh, Hikaleo, Tamatonga, and Hoshi Tanahashi. They defeat the Bullet Club team of Doc Gallows, Jay White, and Carl Anderson. So again, another uh, preview match setting up the title match that happened at uh, Declaration of Power. And also was a preview for the Never title match, that, which we don't even know what's going to happen <laughs> anymore between uh, Hikaleo and Carl Anderson. Yeah, I don't have nothing to add to that. It was just a preview thing, wasn't it? Just, yeah. So nothing special. Yeah, I mean, I I guess the the nice thing was seeing Jay White, seeing the world champion, and uh, you know, a, a match that actually uh, obviously already happened between Tamatonga and Jay White, but at the time had not occurred. So it was probably a, a really cool opportunity to get a preview match for that feud, but it felt kind of weird retrospectively because it's like, well, this already happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. It, it's um, pretty the, nice. The, he gave the, me the belt to hold. Which is oh nice. Not, yeah, he, he did it with everybody. It's pretty heavy, but <laughs> kind of so yeah we don't want to blow up his spot. K Fabe, K But um the one guy on both of these nights and uh that I've just really been impressed with is Hikaleo like just his presence and really seems to be getting over and I think they got something with this kid. He's putting it together. He's putting it together now. I guess since the turn, he's he's doing a lot. Yeah, I'm digging his you know his God gear with the top. I think he's yeah he's carrying himself like a big man and really using his size to his advantage. I think he's getting over and yeah, I think it's gonna be this whole new baby face God faction. I think it's gonna be pretty cool, especially when you get a uh, Tangaloa back from his injury as well. So let's move on now to the the closing of the show. We had three uh, singles matches here. So first we had. The Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, defeating Bad Dude Tito, 8 minutes and 13 seconds. And this is another match that I've seen low cage match course to, and I get it. It was not the, you know, 30-minute Okada classic, but for 8 minutes, I thought this was a pretty good match. I uh, I liked this a lot. I also thought Bad Dude Tito was another guy that got a bigger reception in the UK than I was anticipating. Um, big teats. Yeah, big teats. <laughs> yeah, big teats. So that was uh, pretty cool. And then um, I thought he had a perfectly serviceable, you know, mid-card match with, you know, a top star in Okada. And uh, I thought he looked like he belonged there. So, uh, yeah, this was good. Yeah, to be honest, I think everybody was there to see Okada, weren't they? So... You know, if you put a card with anybody, probably everybody just popped for him, didn't they? It was all right, yeah. It wasn't bad. Yeah, like big team and big opportunities with the big old tees. Yeah, it's all it's all about this match was pretty much all about Okada. But again, I thought Bad Dude Tito looked like he belonged, looked like he was good there, and like in the future as he gets you know more over with New Japan crowd, he could definitely be a title challenger, in uh, my view. Um, so then moving on to the semi-main event, we had Big Tom, Tomohiro Ishii, defeating Yota Suji, 17 minutes and 36 seconds. And wow, what a barn burner this was between Ishii and Suji. Never styled matchup here. These guys just throwing bombs and uh, Suji getting over with the crowd towards the end of the match. There. It was pretty cool to see. I don't know what you're talking about. This was not a never style matchup. My man was doing 
you know, Fosbury flops out of the ring. Okay. Mm-hmm. My man Suji was hitting with the Yave. Yes, man Suji. Big, big Hurricane Rana. Hitting with the Hurricane Rana. This man is a, is a, this is the real cruiserweight. This man needs to come back for best of the super juniors. Fuck all that noise about Ishii Jr. run. We want the Suji Jr. run. Well, okay. You know, you know, it's funny. He, he always want, he wanted to go to CMLL for his excursion because he likes Lucha Libre. He wants to do the flips and all the moves. They're like, nah, you're, you're going to Rev Pro. And he's like, I don't care. I'm still going to do these flips. <laughs> you got a big guy in Suji who's doing the high aerial, fast paced, high octane style and then you got a little guy in ishii who's wrestling like a super heavyweight and just bruising and and beating up the bigger guy like i love this it was awesome just such a great match easily for me match of the night i like yeah. it a lot a lot more than i like the main event and um suji's yeah. a guy that we've always been behind and i was so glad to see him get this opportunity and um i feel like in a way i probably would have ended up liking this better than the jonah match yeah yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, it was our, pretty much everybody's favorite match of the night, even though somebody tried to do a stupid chat of EC's trying to squishy. Like, <laughs> like, you can just, just stupid. Some people, well, just, just the way things that they want to chat and whatever. So you tried to get it going like, a number of times and they just, just kayfabes. Everybody kayfabed him. And like, the point before as well, did you notice like everybody saying, fuck that guy? To like the fan who was like shouting at Alcada. Yeah. Yeah. And like the whole crowd was like just one guy standing up saying fuck Alcada. It was just funny. But yes, Uji had his working boots on, man. He he put on a show, you know. So for but that probably would have been that was a better match, to be honest. Then yeah. probably I still want to see Ishi Jona for some reason, but that was great. Just to beat the hell out of each other. And Suji just doing crazy Mexican flips. When he comes back, I think he's going to blow some people's minds in Japan, the things that he can do. Yeah, I think he looked super confident. Like, there's something about him that that he has kind of this, like, evil kind of smile that he does and it's like, kind of cocky grin, and, like, it just fits him so well. And, like, we mentioned, yeah, I lost my mind when I saw him do, like, that big Fosbury flop. I'm like, what is he doing? And then, yeah, the running Hurricane Rana and, yeah, kind of integrating some of the high-flying stuff. Yeah, I think he's going to get over huge if he keeps doing stuff like that. And I'm really liking what I'm seeing with his um, current current run in Rev Pro. So looking forward for him coming back from excursion and getting back in the mix. He's going to be another one of these guys that's going to be fighting for that next A spot. I think you throw him and Shooter and Uamora up there. Like These are the guys that are all battling for like the next spot. Suji FTW. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then uh, main event of the evening, this match was for the uh, number one contendership match for the IWGP U.S. title held by Will Ospreay. So Tetsuya Naito defeated Zack Sabre Jr. 21 minutes and five seconds. This match had a lot of build to it. This whole kind of frenemy relationship that Naito and, and Sabre had. Uh, Bash, what do you think about this main event? Yeah, I think like Zack just calling Naito a dickhead. Constantly, it was quite funny, like him just throwing his fingers up and stuff. Like there's, there's a lot of comedy spots in it actually, then like straight up wrestling. But uh, yeah, night always just night always, isn't it? Everybody was happy for me to see them both wrestle. It wasn't a bad match, but obviously from the match before, I think everybody was a bit um, kind of tired, maybe tired after like seeing Suji and Ishii do what they did. 
But it was a good match, considering it all. I was a bit shocked that Zach lost, to be honest. Like, the hometown boy losing in front of his hometown people. Like, that was a bit bit weird. But, yeah, it was it was good, yeah. But that night I was doing the roll call was quite interesting. Now, a lot of people kind of, as soon as the finish happened, a lot of people started walking out, to be honest, what I noticed. But, yeah, I, I stayed for the roll call, and then and I was doing his entrance. I think that's when I started walking, like, to the back, like, outside. It was good, yeah. It wasn't bad. I thought this match was, um, you know, when when these two guys met at the end of the G1 and they did the, the short, uh, you know, two-minute finish. Two-minute finish. Um, I was okay with it at the time, you know, because that whole card, they did all the singles matches on the same night. It was shocking. And what I really liked out of it was we got the long storyline that played out over the coming months at the end of the G1 between those two guys. But I was really hoping that it would culminate in a match that was befitting of the, the styled matches we've seen between these two guys throughout history. They have you know, such uh, a catalog of great matches with each other and a a proven track record of chemistry. And I don't think that this was on that, that was undone here, but what I think happened is I think they went out there and had a, we're in the UK. So let's do a a UK match in front of 2,500 fans instead of doing the, we're at sumo hall match and let's do it in front of 2,500, you know, screaming UK fans. I think they kind of gave him like a Rev Pro, um, like house, house like, show match. Like a, yeah, that's the word I was looking for, like a house show style match. And a lot of the complaints that people have about the negative tendencies of New Japan's main event style, where it's kind of drawn out and then you know peaks at a certain point, but it's overly long to a point where it doesn't need to be. I think that that was on full display here. Don't get me wrong, the match wasn't bad by any means. It was very good, but I don't think it was a great match. I don't think that they uh, treated it w- with the way they were working like it was a serious sporting contest. It almost sa- seemed a little bit more comical, like Bash was saying, which uh, you know I feel like was unnecessary, especially considering that it was the main main event of the two nights and you know had all these months to build. And the stakes that were involved, the winner gets a number one contender shot against Will Ospreay for the title. So there was kind of a lot riding here. And I felt like they just kind of went out there and played the hits, which was kind of surprising. And they never did get to that next gear that you expect in a big time New Japan, you know, main event style mm-hmm. match. They kind of just hit that 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 like gear just beneath that and kind of stayed there. And it was sort of one tone the whole way. Uh, finish was was really good. I I enjoyed the match, but I'd probably go like three and three quarters. Yeah, I think the main thing was like people screaming "fuck the Tories." Just that was that was my main highlight, to be honest. Saying "fuck the Tories," but I don't think that was going to change much here. But is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, I think another thing too that hurt was just the whole you know the timing of it. We already knew that Naito. One is is getting the match of Osprey come November fifth in um, Osaka. Um, so again, it was like I already knew Naito was going to win this match. It was kind of hard to get invested and really follow the story of the match, already knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, so there's been a lot of mute points in there. Like I said, the whole show with it being late, it's just become mute. Unfortunately, yeah. 
And we had a question here from Rambo and Slam Picks. Did Raw Quest live up to your expectations and the hype? Was the lengthy day delay detrimental to its impact for you? Do you think NJPW squandered an opportunity for a bigger splash, or is it ultimately not a big deal going forward? Um, yeah, so as far as this question goes, um, you know, I felt like I covered some of this sort of in the comments, but um, I thought that the show was sort of what I expected it to be, sort of like a, a B minus C plus level, you know, two night New Japan show mixed with some red pro guys, which is kind of what we got there. Um, there were some excellent matches and I think they were overall enjoyable watches, but um, yeah, the length, the lengthy delay was really bad. And I do think it affected the impact, even if the show was still, you know, enjoyable, they weren't as important or meaningful as they could have been when they had first dropped. And I do think that they missed out on that opportunity with all the buzz and the hype that was surrounding FTR and Aussie Open. Missing out on that did kind of stink. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It turned into a joke. You know, people, like we mentioned, the people are, you know, doing the countdown and when's this going to come out and it's a lost tape and it became a meme versus being this kind of hype thing that they could have ridden that social media momentum and instead kind of turned into a joke and. Now it's kind of got lost. Like like we mentioned, like wrestling moves so fast. And like, are people actually going to take the time to go back and watch two three-hour shows when there's already so much else going on? And I know, Bash, for you, that didn't really, that didn't really affect you because you were there uh, live. Uh, yeah, it didn't affect me too much. It, it's just the case of, like, what you lot were saying is become mute, hasn't it? Like... There's no continuity between watching those shows and what's going on now because obviously, you know, finishes to a lot of the stuff. So uh, it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I probably would go Tokyo Dome next time if they did the show here. It didn't seem like as much as a big deal uh, personally for me as it should have been. But obviously, like I said, Aussie Open, this FTR was probably worth the money. Definitely. All right, so now we're going to jump into the Battle Autumn Tour. We had three shows this past week. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the undercard stuff. We'll kind of highlight some of the story line elements there, and then we'll focus in on the TV title tournament. Um, so first up on night one, we had Renarita and Rei Oiwa. They defeated Ishii and Yoto Nakashima, 10 minutes and 44 seconds. This is a preview for the Narita Ishii match coming up in the tournament. We did have a question here from Strong Style Demon. It says, hi, guys. I'm a big fan of the song of Strong Style concept they have at attached to Narita. Do you think it could work great if they had him paired with Shibata as his sensei, walking him with, with him and acting as some kind of manager to Narita? This way, they would have been able to give Shibata screen time and also push Narita fast to a top position. You think Shibata otherwise will have a spot on the upcoming Wrestle Kingdom show? In such case, who do you think he can put him with at this point? Also, if Nariya doesn't win this new TV title, do you think that the new the Never Open Weight belt could be something to push him towards? And as always, thank you both for the great work. Um, yeah, it's maybe they should have because it's like just come on like on the island on his own as with Hontai, and like his look doesn't really kind of fit with Hontai, does it? He's kind of like stern and, you know, angry. And I do like the exchanges between him and Ishii. I think that's a good thing they've done with that feud, putting them two together. 
because obviously they when they're together they beat the crap out of each other. But you know, with maybe, but obviously Shabata's when you every time you bring Shabata back, everybody's expecting him to wrestle. So it's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Just having him in that like what they did with Kenta. It's kind of doing that all over again with Ren in it, and you don't want right. to restore things too much, do you? That's what I think about it anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of the gimmick, and I, I love what they've done with him so far, even though it's still early goings. But um, as far as that idea of bringing Shibata, I feel like they already kind of did something like this throughout his excursion, and now it's time to move on from that. Um, I'm not a big fan of keeping the guys in the shadow of their trainer or the people that are, you know, came before them. Um, it, there's already so many comparisons and illusions between him and Shibata that if you had Shibata acting as a, a manager in a managerial capacity, I mean, one, that would probably not be feasible with the amount of work and, and training he does at the LA Dojo. But number two, I wouldn't really allow... Uh, Narita to kind of find his own footing and become his own man and kind of put the spotlight back on Shibata at some point, which I think is unnecessary. I think that they actually have a better shot at making him a main eventer by just pushing him and letting him have good matches as opposed to making him Shibata's boy still. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I do like the Son of Strong style gimmick. I wasn't here last week to kind of get my thoughts on that, but I think it's cool kind of starting out gimmick for him. And I think just the look in itself is enough to kind of throw to Shibata, like you're saying, Josh. And, you know, one of the big things a manager does is talk for their person. And, I mean, also, we don't understand Japanese, but to me, Shibata's never been seen as a promo guy. He's always had super short, kind of, you know, straight-to-the-point kind of promos, which right. Narita does on his own. Like, Narita was cutting promos unstrong and can talk for himself. So you don't need Shibata to talk for him. And then, like you mentioned, Bash, like, Shibata's in a stage right now where anytime he's on screen, people want to see him wrestle. I think it's completely different when you have a somebody like a, I don't know, a Jake the Snake who's managing because you're like, you know he can't go and you really don't want to see him wrestle. But when you have somebody that's active like Shibata who we want to see wrestle and when there's a sliver of hope that he can wrestle, people are like, want to see him wrestle instead of manage. Uh, so moving on from that, we had the Great Bash Heel team of Makabe and Hanuma teaming with Master Wato and Rocky Romero. They defeated the Sugun team of Doki, Despi, Taichi, and Takamichinoku. Then we had the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Udro. They defeated the G.O.D. team of Hikaleo and Jado, who are teaming with Tenzan and Risuke Taguchi. Um, part of this is a preview for the upcoming Never Six-Man title match that's coming up later this week. Then we had Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi defeating the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb, previewing some TV title matches there. Then we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Naito, and Teton defeating the United Empire team of Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP, which they're building a junior tag title match with uh, TJP and Akira against Bushi and Teton. Then we had the Bullet Club team of ELP, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori defeating the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Shingo by disqualification, which is all building up to the the next KOPW match between uh, ELP and Shingo. And then we had the two first-round matches to close the show. First, we had David Finley defeating Yoshinobu Kanemaru 11 minutes and 52 seconds. Bash, what do you think about this one? 
I think Kanemon was like really underrated, personally. I like the control spots that he had with the head, head scissors. Using the head scissors, you don't see many wrestlers kind of utilizing the head scissors, especially like Finley's quite explosive. So I like like Kevin Kelly's thing of you control the head, you control the body kind of thing. And I think Kanemon was like criminally underrated, personally for me. And I thought the match was great. I think Finley stepped up a gear this year. Like really, I think is the most one of the most improved in New Japan this year by by a mile. Um, it was a good, it was a solid match. Finley's showing a lot of fire, and he's doing re- personally for me. He's doing really well. I started to like him a lot more than I did before. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I uh, I liked Finley's gear that he uh, introduced here too. But um, this match was pretty entertaining, and it was a great first introduction to the sub-15 minute format that we were going to get here. I know that there's probably those who are complaining about this being a youth-centered um, division and having an older guy like Kanemaru, but like, I don't know, man. Kanemaru has like the old wily, crafty veteran, sort of like an old George Foreman or an old Bernard Hopkins. It works for me. He's got this bag of tricks. He tried to beat uh, young David Finley by getting him counted out in the middle of the match, which I love. But um, ultimately, his tricks were not enough to overcome a, a surging, you know, young heavyweight like Dave Finley. And he hit him with that trash panda, got got that bum out of here. One, two, three, moves on. I thought this was good. Yeah, I enjoy this a lot. I mean, when I thought about this kind of 15-minute time limit thing i thought about kanamaru as a perfect person to be in this and to be a challenger based off of his work in a super juniors he's always having these kind of flash pins and these kind of quick roll-ups in the beginning of his sequences and like you mentioned josh he's always trying to use that kind of wily you know experience and veteranship to use his tricks to kind of outmaneuver some of the younger um inexperienced guys to him and so that's what he was trying to do here with finley try to use some of those tricks and experiences and his speed, that junior speed that he has over Finley to kind of pull one up on him. But overall, Finley was able to hit the trash panda, put Kanemaru away, and move on to the next round. So then the main event, we had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the Sauce Alex Zane. 14 minutes and 55 seconds. We almost got the first time limit draw. Which in this tournament, if it does go to a time limit draw, uh, the winner will be determined by a coin flip. Yeah, and I, you, I don't know if you guys thought about this, but what if there was someone where they can't beat the other guy, and so they try to just make it to the bell in hopes that they win the coin flip <laughs> and they take the 50-50 gamble? Could that be something that you could see happening in this tournament? Because I feel like that is a possibility. What do you think, Bash? Um, I thought it was going to happen uh, at, at some point, but I think because it's wrestling, the coin's got to be rigged in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Not necessarily. I, I feel like you could gimmick the whole shit. Like, I just mean, like, you know, booking-wise, imagine, like, you winning on a coin flip. It must be mad, in it? Like... Uh, I, 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 can I make it like sorry, a sort of point? Like, do do you guys enjoy the um, little promo segments at the beginning? Because I actually really like that, even though some some of them doesn't come with translation. I think that makes it more special. Yeah, I think the presentation's been really cool. 
Yeah, I like the presentation. Also, I like the whole thing of having the promos, people talking about why it's so important to them. I think it definitely adds some, you know, importance to this tournament and the title. And Josh, I thought the 15 minute thing was going to happen here, and maybe they wanted to beat Saber, but they didn't want Zayn to beat him. Oh, so I thought it was going to be like that's another way they could do it, right? I thought it was like, all right, well, Saber is clearly like beating Zayn. He's more experienced. He hasn't been submission hold. I thought it was going to go to 15, and then the coin was going to flip, and then Zayn would have won. And then Saber would have just gone absolutely ballistic, thrown a temper tantrum, and, and been upset and claimed how New Japan screwed him. And then you would have had your, you know, your younger Alex Zane moving forward. Well, I guess I don't have the the full field in mind when I was thinking of that scenario, right? But like, what if there was some? Like, what if it was like Kanemaru and he can't beat somebody, so he's like, I'll just take my chances and try to ride the clock out. You know what I mean? Right. I Which would be. It's like it's 50-50 at that point. It's better than like being a a no chance, like if it was him against Fale or some shit. Um, but as far as this match goes, Bash, what were your thoughts? Um, I really enjoyed like Alex Zane's hot start. I thought that was like really interesting and Zach not actually getting his jacket off during the match. I mean that like, I think I'm, I'm surprised that Alex Zane is a freelancer, to be honest. Like, I think this is one of my major problems with New Japan, like just having freelancers are not sign up people to like contracts like people like alex zane like the way that the korokan crowd or like japanese fans love him and like you can just tell in that match through korokan like the ending sequence was brilliant i mean like i don't know exactly what move zaki used as a submission is like was it like a heel a hook or a leg bar or something like that but like the transitions between that like finishing sequence and the drama being built up in the last couple of seconds. I think it, this like 15 minute format really adds some extra drama because everybody's going at a high pace and they're going really fast in the matches. And it's not it's not dwindling your attention span. It's not like a normal New Japan main event that goes like 30, 40 and like halfway through, like sometimes in some of them you're looking at your phone and you think of oh, when's it going to end? Like this is like, you have to watch every single second because you don't know what's going to happen. So that's what I really enjoy about the format. And I think the match was really great. And I really like Alex Zane in New Japan. Yeah, this was the first of the three main events that we saw in this tournament. And um, I thought that this was really a standout match and a a great first uh, introduction to sort of seeing Alex Zane on a heavyweight level. I don't know that if he is going to for sure transition from a uh, junior, but he looks like he should, because he's even bigger than, than uh, Zach Sabre, who he himself has put on, you know, some muscle in, in recent years. But um, in the past, Jeremy, you and I, we've kind of, cri- especially in the early days of the podcast, kind of criticized some of the match structure of like a Zach Sabre match from time to time. Cause we felt like he like ate people alive and, I guess now I'm kind of progressing to this point where like anything that's different from a regular match structure, I'm especially coming out of the pandemic. I'm kind of enjoying that more and more. And in this environment, it kind of worked because like you mentioned bash early on Zane was able to come in there and do all these like high flying moves and catch him off guard. But once they settled in, it became the Zack Saber show and Zach was just tying this guy into pretzels and really just eating him alive. And it kind of became, um, you know, a quest for Zane to sort of survive. And then everything changed going down the stretch because it's like Alex Zane keeps getting in trouble, but he keeps getting out of everything. And then it's like, oh, shit, Zach 
can't finish him. And Zane's like pulling out all these roll-ups and then getting, you know, and then um, Zack Sabre's getting like kind of reckless and then he's getting caught with like counters and then he almost got hit with the cinnamon twist off the top rope. And it was like, this is a really awesome story. And then finally, Zack Sabre's able to capitalize on a, on a leg issue that had been kind of persistent all throughout the match and get the guy into a heel hook and with like just a few seconds left, taps him out. And if he hadn't have tapped him out, what would have happened? It would have gone to a coin flip. And like conceivably, Zane could have won this match. It was like within his grasp without actually quote unquote winning the match because it, like, let's say if this was a, a G1 match with 30 minutes, it was pretty clear that Zack Sabre likely would have won that sort of encounter. But because of the 15 minute parameters, the whole psychology of the match is totally different. Yeah, I really enjoy this match as well. And I totally agree about Zane potentially moving the heavyweight. I mean, there's a lot on commentary. Uh, Charlton was like, yeah, there's no way um, Zane is still a junior. He needs to be a heavyweight. So it is going to be interesting to see how they slot him uh, moving forward. Um, Because also he wrestles like a junior, but definitely has a a bigger frame. And yeah, I love the pacing of the match. I love the story. Saber working on the leg, compromising the knee to kind of prevent him from doing, you know, some of his... um, you know, the Baja Blast and the Cinnamon Twist, all his uh, Taco Bell <laughs> high-flying offense. Um, but, yeah, then towards the end there, gets him in the heel hook. Zane couldn't hold on and tapped out. Um, yeah, overall, really fun matchup, high pace. And, again, I'm, I'm really enjoying this format of the TV title tournament, these shorter, faster matchups. Like you were saying, Bash, like you're hooked on every minute because, literally, it, it could end at any time. People are doing all these kind of flash roll-ups. And with Saber, he's doing all these submissions. So, you, you just never know when it's going to end, and the pacing has been a lot of fun to watch. So moving on to night two, show opened up. We had Taichi and Taka defeating Gato and Kenta. Then we had Goto, Ishii, and Yano defeating Makabe, Hanma, and Renarita. Then we had Zayn, Finley, Wato, and Tiger Mask defeating Doki, Despi, Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Then we had the House of Torture team of Show and Nudro defeating Hikaleo and Jado. Then we had Bushi, Sonata, Naito, and Teton defeating Akira, Gideon Gray, Great Okan, and TJP. Then we had Hiromu and Shingo defeating uh, Bullet Club's cutest tag team, ELP and Taiji, by disqualification. Once again, building to the, the upcoming stipulations, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then we had the two tournament matches. So first we had Evil defeating Aaron Hanare, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. Bash, what do you think about this one? I just want Hanare to get a break, to be honest. <laughs> now, evil is just evil any at this point, but you need those kind of people in wrestling, or you? you need like shared heels that everybody hates, or you sell tickets to see their asses get kicked, don't you? I think Hanare is like come on strides as well, really. I just like every time he just gets saddled in the back seat, doesn't he? To like, where there's a Hontai now, United Empire, and like, his matches have been pretty solid, you know, to be honest, throughout the G1 and now this thing with evil. But evil's evil, and it? Like, he's just going to be evil. It's in his name. I, 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 the one thing I like about evil is when he hits his finish, that's it. You know, the match is over. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not many people you kick out of that. And, I'm like, and you're like, yeah, thank God it's fucking over. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, the fast-forward button just... Just wants to come quick enough, doesn't it? The past torture, but 
like I said, it's the oldest wrestling thing in the business, and it have somebody like to, you know, everybody hates, or you want to see them get beat, or people coming to a building to, you know, see them get beat and pay the money. That, that's what I thought about. It. I thought Hanare was great, though. Yeah, I, I really liked Hanare here. And going into the match, because of the stipulation and because it's a youth-centered belt, um, I was a little bit optimistic that Aaron Hanare might be able to pick up a win here, especially considering the outcome of these, these guys' match during the G1. So I was sort of hoping there'd be some sort of caveat where he could pull up the first real upset in the tournament. Uh, alas, that didn't come to pass. And then watching this at first, at first I was like, you know what? Evil in this division maybe could work because I've always sort of said that sub-15 minute matches for Evil are like his sweet spot. But then they started pulling out all the House of Torture shenanigans. They started having the lights turn off and the ref bumps and the ref, uh, you know, distraction and then and just it, it became overkill, and I was like, oh my god, they can actually shoehorn everything that he does in his long ass matches <laughs> into a short 15 minute match, and it's just as bad. And so then that made me feel like maybe I just fucking hate evil. I cannot stand this dude, and I don't want to see him have singles matches until he's wrestling like like he used to wrestle, which I wasn't even that big of a fan of to begin with. But um last thing with this match. Last week, I kind of looked at the bracket haphazardly and was like, you know what? It's going to it's gonna end up being Zack Sabre Jr. and Renarita in the finals. But now that I'm looking at it a little bit closer and I'm looking at some of the names involved in it, I'm like, Evil could easily win this thing. Or like a Sonata could easily win this thing. Um, it's not as open and shut as maybe I made it sound last week. And Evil winning this first match just kind of makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was disappointed that Evil got this one. It's not just because of hating Evil, but uh, like you were saying, Bash, I really feel like Aaron Hanare needs a break, needs a chance here. With this, with this supposed to being a youth-centered, you know, title, I thought this would be a great opportunity to, um, you know, give something to Hanare, even if he's not going to win the tournament. At least have him go pretty far. Like his, he's been killing it lately with his matches and his the striking game, and everything's been great for him since he's joined the Empire. And so, yeah, I would have loved to see him get a big win here, you know, overcome shenanigans, which he was for the most part in the match. You know, they were doing, Dick Togo was interfering, they had the lights going out, and Hanare was kind of overcoming everything that Evil was throwing at him until the very end there where Evil was finally able to get hit him with the, the everything is evil and put him away. Um, it would, I think it would have been a cool opportunity for Hanare, but I get it. Evil's a former IWGP champion. Um, you, you do want some bigger, quote-unquote, main event names in this tournament going down a stretch. So I can see why they have evil going down further. But again, like you were saying, Josh, I don't want to see a, you know, 15 minutes of evil with the garrote wire and the lights going off and show with the wrench and, you know, you with the, with the pimp cane and blah, blah, blah. Like, like it's let's let evil, let's, let's let wrestle for 15 minutes. Like let's minimize the, the house of torch stuff. And let's just see a, a good 15 minute match. Um, so moving on from that, the main event of the show, it was Yoshihashi defeating Jeff Cobb, 12 minutes and 14 seconds. Shocker for me, to be honest. I didn't see Yoshihashi going through, but 
you know, Jeff Cobb slipping up in this match. You know, I I like Jeff Cobb's selling of the knee, to be honest. And I liked uh, Yoshihashi's flash pin. He was trying to get into karma, but I don't think he couldn't lift him up, could he, or something along those lines. And then he just kind of like put him in like the karma pose for the pin. It was a good match, and you know? Jeff Cobb was just like, acting cocky, like I've beat him before, and like I can beat him again. It's nothing to me. And then once the knee kind of gave out. You know, Yoshi, Yoshihashi using his uh, brains or as Zach would say, his techers, uh to get the win. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I, but I was actually shocked at the finish that Jeff Cobb wouldn't go through because that's like none of United Empire in this tournament now, isn't it? Yeah, they're. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they're all out, right? Who's? That? I think. I think so. Is like one of United Empire out of this tournament now? I I haven't paid enough attention. I'm kind of taking it like round by round as it is so i don't know exactly who all was in it but if it is just um is okan in this i'm not sure either. yeah let me see if i can pull pull the bracket up real quick yeah yeah i'm not sure maybe but that's two of them yeah jeremy that's your job to have the bracket up in front of me i i don't sorry i just show up and talk you know but um as far as the match goes yoshihashi and jeff cobb just have incredible chemistry with one another and are both um i don't want to say underrated at this point but like i feel like yoshiashi still to a degree is underrated and jeff cobb has one of his best dance partners just on a even if it's a short match like this they're consistently good to really really great and that's what i felt like this one was um not my favorite match of the tournament, but I liked this even better than the Alex Zane ZSJ match. And um, these guys just went out there and worked their asses off, blew the roof off, had an incredible, incredible match. And the one thing that I liked about it is the fact that Yoshiashi has never beat Jeff Cobb one-on-one before. And in again, in a regular context, like say a G1, he has a lot of trouble putting this guy away. But because of the fact that this was a 15 minute sprint it allowed opportunities to arise for yoshihashi and on two occasions he took full advantage where he already scouted jeff cobb and he knew when he was going to go for the tour of the islands he was able to counter that into a believable near fall and then down the stretch he made jeff cobb think he was going for karma jeff goes to to counter it and then he turns that into what became the the winning combination pinfall. And it was like, he suckered Jeff Cobb. He didn't beat him by like dropping him with karma. He beat him by like basically creating a state of panic because of the time and everything that's going on there. And it it created an awesome opportunity for him, which is like, that's the thing I like about this tournament. And and the idea behind it is like, it, it creates plausible scenarios where young guys or underdogs might be able to beat someone that's a little bit more established just because for everyone in this tournament, 15-minute time limit is like a whole new ballpark. Yeah, and like Bash mentioned, Cobb was very cocky coming into this match and very arrogant and kind of taking Yoshihashi a little bit lightly there. So then, like you mentioned, Josh, come to the end, there was that panic because he was taking Yoshihashi lightly, and Yoshihashi had him scouted doing all these counters, and then towards the end there, like you mentioned, yeah, he was... Uh, Cobb was so focused on just blocking Karma and not getting hit with it that Yoshihashi was able to use that to his advantage and get that uh, roll-up in and was able to beat Cobb. So, yeah, really fun main event there. And looking forward to seeing more of Yoshihashi in this tournament. 
And I looked it up. Uh, Great Ocon is in the tournament. He has uh, Torayano as a first-round matchup, so there's still uh, one United Empire guy left. So then moving on to the last Battle Autumn show, we had uh, Great Bash Heel defeating Vegeta and Oiwa. Then we had the Chaos team of Ishii, Yano, and Yoshihashi defeating the United Empire team of Gideon Gray, Great Ocon, and Jeff Cobb. The House of Torture team, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Yujiro defeated Hikaleo, Jado, Tenza, and Taguchi. Then we had Zane, Finley, Wato, Narita, and Tiger Mask defeating Doki, Despi, Taka, Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Then Hiromu and Shingo defeated Gato and Taiji Ishimori, 9 minutes and 25 seconds. Then we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Naito, and Teton defeating Hanare, Akira, and TJP, 12-33. And after this match, we had the angle where Teton and Bushi officially challenged Akira and TJP for the junior tag team titles. Then we had our two TV title tournament matches. So first, we had Kenta defeating Hiroki Goto, 9 minutes and 32 seconds. Bash, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was they have really good chemistry between both of them. I think they can just slip up at the end. I think like with the GTS. I, yeah, was that something? Am I wrong though? Nah, that, so there was a. There, you're talking about when he got color. Color, yeah, and the finish, like both of them. Well, he, he, he yeah, well, Kenta went for the GTS. It looked like he messed it up, and he did it again. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about, yeah. Like, uh, I think that was the only kind of bad part about the match. I like, I just like the chemistry between both of them. It was quite fast-paced and quite quick, even though, like, Kenta rolled to the outside for a bit. But then once the action got going, it kind of really got going between them two and the kind of, like, stiff strikes between them both. Um, apart from that slip-up, it was all right, yeah, it wasn't bad. For like a ten minute, ten minute sprint here. I, I like that at the end when he was like um, wiping the blood with tissue paper and giving it to the crowd, which is a bit strange, but <laughs> yeah, souvenir, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, this was a match that um, it didn't overstay its welcome, but it also, uh, outside of a couple things that happened towards the end, it wasn't the most memorable thing. It's not like I'm going to point back to this, you know, years from now, um, but it was still an enjoyable, entertaining sub 10 minute match between two veterans who are both badasses who will go out there and lay it on the line and, and kick the shit out of each other. And that's what they did in this match. Um, now there was a ref bump spot and down the stretch, there was the usage of weapons, which, you know, in New Japan has been a little bit overplayed, but in this scenario, I enjoyed what they did because they set the spot up where Kenta was trying to use the chair against Goto and Goto countered that by hitting him with a lariat and the chair ended up going into Kenta's head and it actually like cut him open like hard way, which was pretty dramatic and sort of set the, the, the tone of the, the final stands of the match, which I thought was really, really good. And, um, you know, seeing a bloody Kenta, you know, hoist this man up and get this geek Goto. The G <laughs> in geek is for Goto. Get him out of here. Get this bum off of the off the canvas so we, you know, so Bullet Club, we can ball. And that's what they did. So Kenta picks up the big win. Youth, the young people, winning, you know, young star, superstars, young promising <laughs> upstarts like Kenta. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the match too, but like I agree with uh, Bash, the, the kind of finish there with a little wonky there where Kenta 
He went for the GTS, so he didn't hit it quite all the way, and then went for it again and uh, put Goto away. Like I said, um, fast-paced, hard-hitting matchup. Again, with Kenta, I kind of wish we would kind of leave the ref bump stuff out of this. Uh, I mean, he he's so talented, and I feel like with this 15-minute time, it just helped him in general with um, stage he's at in his career and with some of his you know, previous injuries and stuff like that. Um, I think this time limit stuff would, would benefit him if he just had a straight-up match. I get he's a heel. You need, you need to sprinkle in some cheating and stuff like that. But as far as ref bumps and stuff like that, I think let's let's leave that out of this and, you know, cheat in other ways. Um, so then the, the main event was Sonata defeating Tai Chi 14 minutes and 57 seconds. So once again, we had another near uh, time limit matchup here, but just in the nick of time, Sonata was able to uh, defeat Tai Chi. Bash, what do you think about this one? I think it's becoming a thing with Sonata where he just gets the win at the last couple of seconds. I think that with that Okada in the G1, didn't he? A couple of G1s ago or something like that. It's kind of become his like little trope or little gimmick. But I like the 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 whole uh, match personally. Like they're uh, striking quite stiffly between each other, and I, I kind of like the um, the. I don't like the Skolen thing, uh, submission from Sonata, but I think Tai Chi needs a break as well. Like Kanare, I think he's like one of the most um, improved wrestlers in New Japan in the past five five years. He's really put on his working boots like constantly, and he's putting on banger after banger, to be honest. And I just like I want to see Tai Chi just get a singles title at some point, like a proper one, not the never one, just like a. Maybe have a main proper main event for you with somebody, but it was a really good match. Yeah, uh, the guys have good chemistry. Snada and Taichi, the old Japan style. This match fucking rules. This so far is the best match of the tournament, and um, I mean, there's a couple things going into that aside from just the long-standing history between these two guys, both of them being outsiders, like you mentioned, Bash, both of them having ties to all Japan and sort of being aficionados of that, you know, King's Road style. But we also had Toshiaki Kawada on the call at ringside, which was like kind of special. Plus, this was, um, we forgot to mention, a full cheering crowd show. So it really elevated the energy level just across the board for everything on this show, but especially for this main event. And these two guys you know, who there's definitely been times and, and issues where you can criticize them at different points of their career. I think more commonly recently, most of those would be reserved for Sonata. But, um, you know, it's not like uh, Tai Chi went out there and had like a blow away G1 or anything like that. But these guys went out there in this sub 15 minute format. We're like, let's remind people that we are just fucking awesome wrestlers. And that's what they went out there and did. And they had a banger and it was super fast paced and it was super hard hitting. And they were doing all the lariats and all the, all the awesome like back and forth exchanges and head drop spots and the suplexes. And this really felt like a, a like a, an ode or an homage to King's Road style wrestling. And I, I'm here for it. And I loved it. The only thing I was mad about, I wanted Tai Chi to win. And why? Cause I like Tai Chi more, but um, you know, that's, that's one of the marks of a great match. They had me cheering and booing and marking out for, for the guy I wanted to go over when he lost, I was like, damn it. Like I was pissed, 
and that's good because wrestling should make you feel that way. Yeah, this match was freaking awesome. Best match of the tournament, like you mentioned, super uh, high pace from the very beginning. You know, they start with the, the whole push up contest thing, and you know, Sonata, a du- <laughs> Sonata, a dummy, has not learned that like this is a trick for Tai Chi. And once again, Tai Chi lured him in. You know, Gato clutch near fall, and they're going back and forth with the big near falls. You know, big axe Puma right from the beginning of the matchup, and they're throwing all their big bombs. You know, the camp, the common gearies, the last rides. Uh, the sculling attempts, and they're doing all these kind of big back-and-forth moves. Uh, Taichi hits, you know, the big dangerous backdrop driver, and they're going back-and-forth. Sonata hits a tiger suplex. They're hitting these big suplexes, big strikes, big lariats, great counter uh, maneuvers, and then uh, finally towards the end there, you know, Sonata's going for the Mudo Moonsault. Taichi gets his knees up, gets the inside cradle. They have a roll-up exchange, um, and Sonata finally catches Taichi with the uh, Japanese leg clutch. Uh, to get the victory of only three seconds left. And, like again, this match really used the time limit drama to um, enhance the match. And I was at the, you know, the edge of my seat, like, all right, who's this going to go or draw? Who's going to get the win here? And it ended up being Sonata. And like you guys, I, I, also, I also wanted Tai Chi to get the win here. Just like you were saying, Bash, you know, Tai Chi doesn't really get a lot of singles title opportunities. And when he did, that never title run was very short. Um, so uh, again, he's not that young, but he does have a, a style that really fits this 15 minute time limit, especially wrestling a match like how he wrestled against Sonata. Um, so I think in the future, he's definitely a guy you want to have in this TV division. And- yeah. One thing too, this reminded me a lot of the early days of that pure tournament that ROH did during the, uh, pandemic just the alternate presentation, the different dynamics of the psychology and the rule set, which I think is a good thing. Um, But the one thing I'm noticing is very few people are actually winning with their finishers. And like you mentioned, Jeremy, when it comes to Sonata, that's something he has an edge on a lot of people where he's able to really kind of win a chess match, especially when it comes to near falls with pins and he can work out of a pin into his own pinning combinations. Him and Zach are two of the best guys at that. And um, in a match like this, where these guys went out and threw bombs and figured out down the stretch, like, Oh, I, I don't have enough time to actually get this guy out of here. He's too durable. I'm going to need to pin him. And that's where it devolved into a chess match where neither guy could get the, the upper hand on one another until finally with three seconds left, Sonata did, which was pretty crazy. Um, just that little touch at the end with Taichi looking at the stopwatch. I thought yeah. that was really special. Like, maybe that's something I'll just notice. But him looking at that watch and like two seconds out, like, really got to me. Like, and it makes like you think of the other matches now, like, they only got a certain amount of time if they don't make it. That's it. And then Taichi being gutted was like, just broke my heart personally. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't mention. You know, the referees have a stopwatch in their hands. You know, they're not just using like the announcer's call; they have a stopwatch to keep track of the time. Wrestlers can see it, which definitely adds to you know the pace of the match. Because I think that's kind of cool too. Because you know, as a amateur wrestler myself in high school, like we had that time clock up there when we were wrestling, so we knew like, all right, if I'm down a certain amount of points and I only have you know 30 seconds left, I really need to you know try super hard to get a takedown or a reversal to get points. So. I think it definitely adds to, you know, the pace and intensity and the story of a match. Uh, we had a question here from Rainbow Slam Pig. It says, I feel like Tai Chi has to remind us a few times 
per year that he is a badass, but I didn't always feel that way. How has your view of Tai Chi changed over the last few years? I went from negative on him to a fan over the last four or so years. Um, I think I'll give him my thoughts on that. Like, I think since Tai Chi's moved to heavyweight and kind of got rid of all that, you know, heel junior stick that he used to do, he's become like a, a fan favorite for everybody just in, Jap- in Japan and like Western fans as well. He kind of like brings that hard hitting style out a lot of the times. And when he does, like everybody's like, you know, Tai Chi's great, should give him a push and this and that. And then it was being positive for me. Like, I haven't seen anything too negative. And like, um, everybody loves me, Harvey, don't they? So, you know, what <laughs> yes, more they do. You do. Want? Yes, what they do. do <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as uh, I think you summarized it perfectly, Rambo and Slam Pig, it's exactly how I feel. I mean, um, as far as how I feel about Tai Chi now versus how I used to, the man's an incredible promo. The man's extremely funny and entertaining. And when he wants to turn it on and have a, a banger, he really can. And he can break your heart because the guy doesn't win enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Tai Chi. Like, he's one of my favorite New Japan characters at this point. Also, we did we forgot to mention, after the match, he went up and he challenged Toshiaki Kawada to a match. Kawada hasn't wrestled since 2010. And, like, I didn't even recognize him at ringside. And if that happens, that would be insane. I hope it does. Yeah, that would be crazy. Uh, but yeah, same feelings here. When we started the show, Tai Chi was not a guy I was ever thrilled to watch. He goofed off a lot. It was all more about the kind of character work. Um, but over the years, yeah, he's gotten more serious and really kind of shown that all Japan style with the, the Kawada kicks and then the dangerous backdrop driver and just the intensity and the passion he's had. And also now he's including the sumo stuff, you know, that sumo throw and that big sumo elbow strike that he does is awesome and he just has an awesome move set and pace to his matchups gato clutch and some of the other kind of high pace stuff that he does like he's awesome and I, I really wish he got more singles opportunities another question here let's commission 7252 with the killer matches fast paced matches we've seen so far from the njpw world tv title tournament do you guys think the title will have prestige meaning to it from now until next year around this time I hope so, because not at the moment, they've kind of built it quite well, haven't they? You know, with the presentation and the styles of matches people are having. And like, I really enjoyed the like the different style between Zach and Alex Zane. I thought that was the match I had circled personally because of the different stylistic matchup. Now, if you have different stylistic matchups like that and kind of can keep the momentum going on it, and um it stays at the format it is. I think it's like flipping a hell of a lot better than KLBW. So you can throw that in the bin and <laughs> just keep this. Yeah, with the way they're treating KOPW and it's like this demolished this demolished trophy that they're not fixing, like that might be a little signal that this is sort of the spiritual successor. But uh you know what is funny is yeah, they are treating this title like it's something very important and, and I'm here for it. I'm enjoying it. The one thing that's taking away from the prestige, I know we mentioned the pre-show uh, promos. None of these English-speaking wrestlers know what to call this thing. They all have been messing up in their promos. Like, at, one of them was like, oh, I think it was uh, Finley's like, I will be the AJW, like, world champion. And it's like, the what? <laughs> what company did you say you worked for? And then uh, Toa Hanari's like, the 
I'm going to be the first NJPW world champion. It's like, <laughs> and it's confusing because it's the NJPW world, world yeah. television, but it's not world because it's a world title, or maybe that's that maybe it's both, but it's world because it's from NJPW World, the streaming service. It's very confusing for a lot of the wrestlers. They keep fucking it up. But um, as far as the way they're treating the title so far, it seems to be promising. Then again, with this company, you never know. Right. It's It could be here today, gone tomorrow. It really all depends on the booking and the presentation going forward. So far, you know, doing an awesome job with it. It's going to have a big um, final at Wrestle Kingdom. So as of right now, the next few months, it seems like this is definitely a high priority and something they really want to get over. And hopefully it will stay this way because it's a, a breath of fresh air, adds something new to the card. Also, I love that, you know, all these matches have been uh, free on NJPW World and they're separate uploads. So if you're low on time and you just want to watch the tournament matches, you can easily go on NJPWWorld.com, click on those tournament matches and watch those, you know, you know, 10, 15 minute matches and it's super easy to watch. I think it's easy for maybe people who their subscription is lapsed or they're not really sure what's going on in New Japan, kind of hop back in to watch those matches for free. Um, I know that you didn't get to a chance to give your thoughts on this last week, Jeremy, but I'm going to ask you guys both since I already discussed it previously. What are your thoughts on the title design itself? Bash, I'll let you go first. Okay, thank you. Um... To me, it kind of looked like kind of like the North American title, but then when like Chris gave it some context, like a lot of people were slandering it, but then when the concept context came about, like it's like uh, meant to be like sixteen by nine, isn't it, or something like that, like TV aspect ratio, um, like that. It's quite a big belt, isn't it? Like yeah, it's huge. It looks huge, so I hope it goes on a huge wrestler because they might have to remod- refit it if it goes on somebody quite slender like I am. I don't think I could hold that thing personally, but <laughs> I think it's, I think it's all right, you know, for what it is. It, like sometimes, you know, pictures don't do things justice, do they? Like everybody's quick to slander stuff these days, and like just let it breathe and. Like the world title, you know, like when they unveiled the world title, everyone's like, oh, it's a Transformers belt, it's wank, it's, you know, it, it, it looks like a flipping triangle. Like, you know, I'm, 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 like now, like, the man makes the title, the titles, like, you know, just the title, isn't it? It's like the entrepreneur right. is holding it, makes it. Like now Jay White's holding the title. Nobody's saying the world title looks fucking shit, does it? You know, right. so... I think, yeah, just give it time. You got to give things time, don't you? Like, they can always change the design, can't they? It's not like they never changed the bloody design of a title, but have they? It's bloody the oldest, one of the oldest wrestling tropes ever, isn't it? In time, it probably will change. Maybe to like a, a flat screen, like Bahama, <laughs> like a MacBook or whatever, because like you know everything's streaming now. You, you've got a TV unless you're playing video games, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, I, yeah. I for okay. me, for me, I I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. Like uh, like you mentioned, Bass, I saw a lot of people who are you know trashing it online, and to me, of like it's kind of I was kind of like lukewarm on it. Um, and I think it's gonna grow on me over time, kind of like the world title did, um, which I was not. I didn't really hate hate, hate the design either when it uh, first came out. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. It'll grow on me over time, and I think. 
for all of us. It'll, it'll just kind of be there. It'll grow over time. And like you mentioned, Bash, it could also change in the future. Nice. Well, that is going to do it for our coverage of these three nights of Battle Autumn. Coming up this week, we have one show on Sunday, the 23rd. Uh, I'm going to do a quick rundown. Um, opening match, we've got Doki versus Kosei Fujita in singles action. Second match of the night, Alex Zane and Yuto Nakashima take on the Suzuki Goon team of Kanemaru and ZSJ. Third match of the night, Oiwa, Makabe, and Yano take on the United Empire Trio, Kanare, Okan, and Cobb. Fourth match of the night, David Finley, Ren Narita, and Tiger Mask take on the Chaos team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Fifth match of the night, we have Desperado, Taichi, and Takamichinoku taking on the Bullet Club team of Ghetto, Kenta, and Taiji Shimori. Sixth match of the night, Master Wato and Tomoaki Hanma. Uh, they'll be taking on the LIJ team of Hiromu and Sonata. And then in your semi-main event, we have the Los Ingernables team of Bushi, Naito, and Titan taking on the United Empire team of Francesco Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP. And then your main event is the never open weight six-man tag team title uh, match as the champions defend House of Torture, Evil, Show, and Yujiro defend against Hikaleo, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Ryusuke Taguchi. And this is quite a departure from the three excellent shows that we just got <laughs> on this tour. Um, any, you guys, any last quick thoughts about the show or the main event? I, I really don't have much to add. I don't care. Mm, this six man bounce, isn't it? Like since bloody chaos lost him, it just gone to shit, I think, to be honest. But, <laughs> are they going to switch it? I doubt it. This has to torture a sweet spot, in it? Yeah, but with, yeah. with these never titles, they they flip and flop all the time. A lot. We, we've seen in the yeah. past some like random units, like what was like Kojima, Finley, and Ricochet. Like they'll, they'll put like any like three guys together, give them a, a quick run. So we have another kind of random team here of Hikaleo, Tanahashi, and Taguchi. Remember Yano and the Briscoes? Yeah, Yano and the Briscoes <laughs> were champs at one point. Like they they've had a lot of wacky trios hold the tiles before. And, I mean, I could easily see them just doing another quick change and then do another change back just to do something with these titles, and especially with Hikaleo, you know, getting a push now, being a part of G.O.D. and Hontai. Like, they might want to give him his first title this way. He could be the Never Six Man Champs, get his first kind of reign there, and then build him up. He, he could be never, double never, never champion, depending on what's going to happen with the Carl Anderson situation. Well, I'll tell you, Jeremy, I'll watch this show, but I, I can't promise it's going to have my full undivided attention. <laughs> okay. Uh, but moving on. So this past week, we had NJPW Strong Autumn Action Night 1. And um, or this was Night 2. Yeah, I think it was Night 2, yeah. Messing me up on the air with your notes, Jeremy. <laughs> night 2. And uh, we had three matches. This was a championship edition. So uh, quick um, results here. Doc Gallows defeated Che Cabrera in the opener, 7 minutes and 53 seconds. Second match of the night, the NJPW strong openweight tag team titles uh, were defended as Aussie Open defeated Team Filthy to retain their titles 10 minutes and 8 seconds. And then in the main event, the NJPW strong openweight title was on the line as Fred Rosser successfully retained against Chris Dickinson when the match went to a double countout, 6 minutes and 48 seconds. We did get an update after this uh, match earlier today. There was a tweet from uh, friends over at Super Jcast, and um, the tweet stated that NJPW has no plans to use Chris Dickinson moving forward. 
per multiple sources. And I, I believe that those guys are very reliable sources. So it uh, looks like this might be the swan song for Chris Dickinson. Did you guys have any general thoughts about this show and this card overall? Uh, yeah, I thought the tag match was quite good, actually. I'm surprised Kratos hasn't gone over. Like, but I know they've got like, a big man in New Japan at the moment, so uh, I see why they're sticking around as strong. I thought it was a good tag match. And um, the finish of the Dickinson thing was really odd, just having a double count out. You, you would think they were, if they're trying to clear him off, they would have, like, just let Rossa get the win and pin him. But I guess it's one of them. Like, if somebody's got a dick in their name and they're probably being a dick, aren't they? <laughs> oh, my view on it anyway. Just like, you know, it was just, just, just let, give Rossa the clean pin and get him out of there and let him go do what he, stupid things that he was doing, which he shouldn't have been doing, obviously. But, you know, I I, be- I believe the report that they're not going to use him again. But I don't know, Jeremy. I don't know what your thoughts were. This didn't look like the way they were ending the match. Like it was any sort of send off. It looked like they were setting up a rematch. Well, you know, well, part of the problem is this was taped like what, like a month and a half ago, two months ago. So right. when it, I'm sure when they initially taped it, they were probably like, all right, this is our angle. We're going to do like a no dq match maybe at the new york pay-per-view or that's the, what it sounded like at the next strong tapings we're going to blow it off in a big grudge match but then they probably got so much blowback from using dickinson they were like okay we're this will be the last match we'll wash our hands of it and move forward from there he didn't win didn't lose we don't really we don't have to follow up on the story we can just kind of drop it and to me that's what it seemed like it's going to happen here because it was clearly angled to build another matchup but i guess with all the bow black there's gonna be like whatever we're just gonna drop it yeah this didn't seem like a match where uh guy wasn't willing to do business so they needed to appease all parties and book something convoluted to save face it did not feel that and now that i'm not saying that's outside of the realm of possibility but it didn't feel that way it felt like this was the the first tease of a really quote-unquote hot angle these guys hate each other so much the ring wasn't enough to contain them they're gonna need to blow it off in new york in a new york street fight or whatever that's what it seemed like based off classic booking patterns that's where it seemed like they were going and then you know if this report is to be believed which i think it is then we're just not going to get a payoff for it which at this point i'm kind of fine with it because they really shouldn't have brought this guy back to begin with unless unless like they cleared his name or had some sort of resolution to and and especially since recently there have been things that have been brought to light within the case showing that the allegations probably are real (laughs) like there were there were text messages where like he admitted to getting physical with one of the girls so it's kind of you know that came out during discovery and i mean it's sort of hard to see those text messages and, and give you know buddy benefit of the doubt you know what i mean Right. It's hard to it's hard to give New Japan benefit of the doubt when they've already shown a pattern of being willing to work with guys like this, whether it's Michael Elgin or Marty Skrull or what have you. Right, and I felt it was very similar to the Marty situation, except the Marty angle didn't air because they they did the Marty angle and they just dropped it after they got the blowback. And so same thing here, like except the angle actually aired, they actually went through with the match. They got a lot of uh, you know bad press and people talking about it, so they dropped the angle. So yeah, that was this well, week strong. 
next week we have njpw strong autumn action night three on october the 22nd uh the matches that will be airing that evening Jarrell nelson and royce isaacs versus jacob austin and greg sharp christopher daniels versus yuya yuimura and the main event shingo takagi versus rocky romero our good friend so looking forward to checking that out and that's going to bring us to the news so this past week katsuya kitamura former young line in new japan pro wrestling passed away at the young age of 36 i think this was shocking to all of us and we had a couple questions hawaiian punch bv said r.i.p kitamura what do you think his ceiling could have been if he stuck with wrestling seeing great okan being so emotional about his death would have you uh rather seen uh kitamura or copy his tag partner and Barry Walsh asked, hi, lads, heard the news about Kitamura that he died over a day ago now. And considering NJPW 1972 is updating with results and the other news, are you surprised they haven't acknowledged his passing? I know they might have been on great, they might not have been on great terms, but it's still surprising to me that it's not been referenced. So guys, what are your thoughts about those questions? And then just your general thoughts and reactions to the passing of Katsuya Kitamura? Yeah, pretty uh, sad news there. I was pretty uh, devastated when I read that, you know, Kitamura was a young lion who was on the scene when we started doing this podcast, and there was a lot of high hopes for him. And then, of course, you know, there were so many different stories on why he left and the injury or not injury or what he was involved in. Um, so, yeah, it's always sad to see somebody go at such a young age, and I don't know the reasoning for why New Japan hasn't mention him or put out a statement or anything. I don't know if there's some legal reason why they chose not to do it. Um, but it is a little weird that they didn't at least put something up on, on the website. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have been cool to see him team with Ocon or, I mean, there was clearly big plans for him. They had that whole challenge series that he was doing right before um, he left. And it seems like he was going to get the big fast track, maybe have a quick excursion, then come back and then be this, huge um heavyweight megastar obviously we'll we'll never know what what was to be but yeah very sad uh thoughts and prayers to uh kitamura and his friends and families bash what do you think man i turned the same age as kitamura on thursday so it kind of really hits me hard because i was in a bad way last year with you know miss you know the covid and i spent three months in hospital and Doctor said I'm a miracle to still be here. So it's just hit me hard, you know. I mean, somebody in your own age bracket as well. It's just, it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking for me personally because after what I went through, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, just like everybody else. They were shocked in it. I, I don't know why you seen him would have been. I think it would have been great, you know, if he stuck with the company. It seemed like he won the Young Lion Cup and all that, and. Um, you know, sometimes things don't work out in life how you want them to work out, but, you know, he's, an, he's a person, he was a human being, and he, nobody deserves to die, like, at any age, but just that age, just knowing that it's so close for me is heartbreaking. It's awful. That's what yeah. That's what this was uh, very, very sad. Um, and, you know, kind of on the heels of another loss for the company and Anoki, and then you know, this one, especially with the age, was very tragic. I know maybe some of the newer listeners aren't as familiar with Katsuya Kitamura, but he was a monster, uh, you know, 
rookie, a guy that was positioned to potentially have like a Brock Lesnar slash Goldberg esque run through New Japan Day, um, definitely had plans and anticipations to make him a world champion. So as far as like what was his ceiling, I think undoubtedly by now, had he been in the company and things worked out the way that the company anticipated, he'd already be a former champion and a top main event player in the company. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Uh, but for the time that he was here in the company, he was a guy that I really enjoyed watching and I loved his work. And, um, you know, it is it, it was disappointing to see him not progress in the company, but it's even sadder to hear that he has passed. Um, the stuff with Great O'Connor, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the uh, interviews, but uh, they, they were really touching, but also really hard to watch at the same time. And I, I loved that he was doing the tribute maneuvers and things like that during his entrance into the matches and even though the it is i do think it's very strange that the company hasn't even offered any sort of public uh acknowledgement or condolence as to the passing of kitamura which it, to me is in bad taste honestly i think at the at a very bare minimum there should have been at least a press a press release or something yeah but um yeah it, it's very very unfortunate and i'm sad to hear about it uh any any final thoughts on that no. no, I think we're good. Okay. Tokyo Sports reported Friday morning that Kitamura had passed away on October 12th uh, with the cause of death currently unknown. Uh, he had kept a YouTube page with the latest video being uploaded on October 9th. So uh, best wishes and uh, thoughts, prayers, condolences to his family and friends. Um, also, in other news, the OC, the original club, will be taking on Judgment Day in a match that is set with WWE for their crown jewel. <laughs> Carl Anderson is also slated to face Hikaleo that exact same day for the never openweight title in Osaka. So uh, there had been reports that they are expected to finish out all their dates all the way through to January 4th at, at the Tokyo Dome. But this man, like, it, it doesn't even look like he's showing up to have this title defense against Hikaleo. He's going to be working in Saudi Arabia, which is crazy considering what happened the last time they worked for this company and were in Saudi Arabia. Right. Which is also crazy because the last time they worked for New Japan, they walked out of the company when they weren't tied to a contract and left for WWE and they did the exact same shit like seven years later. The only difference is New Japan put a title on the dude. Like, and then they're like, we trust him. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Time, time is a flat circle. Um, yeah, let's, I don't know what's happening here. I don't, I don't know the time difference between Saudi Arabia and Japan, but I, it's probably not possible for him to do both matches in the same day. Um, so I, I, also New Japan has not made any official announcement yet on what's going to happen with the match or the never title. But personally, I think they should just strip Carl Anderson of the title, find another person for Hikaleo to wrestle, and have a, a never title match that way. NJPW Rumble on 44th Street is coming up Friday, October 28th. And a couple of the matches that were confirmed, we got Okada versus Eddie and Eddie Kingston teaming up to take on Jay White and Juice Robinson. Uh, there will be a provisional KOPW 2022 championship title defense as Shingo Takagi takes on El Fantasmo. And the, the voting began Monday night uh, for the two different stipulations. So one is a New York Street fight with no DQs or countouts, anything goes. The other is a last daddy standing match, which is basically going to be a last man standing match, except for 
the title daddy is tied to it. <laughs> um, there's also an NJPW strong openweight tag team title defense as the champions Aussie Open defend against the Motor City Machine Guns and Kevin Knight and the DKC uh, in a three-way match. On top of that, there will also be a junior tag team title match that's been added to the NJPW Battle Autumn Show in Osaka. Three title matches are now slated for the no- November 5th show. Osprey versus Naito for the U.S. title. Anderson versus Hikaleo tentatively set for the never open weight title. And then the aforementioned junior heavyweight tag team title defense. Um, also, the IWGP World Television Championship Tournament semifinals will be taking place on that show as well. In other news, Antonio Noki's Memorial T-shirt is now available for pre-order on the Token Shop Global. Um, this week at PWA Black Label, Black Label presents Let's Fucking Go. Shingo Takagi will be taking on Jack Bonza this Friday, October 21st. Take uh, Check that out if you get a chance. And then Tuesday, October 25th in Portsmouth, Guide Hall, the Legion, will be taking on Mad Kurt and Minoru Suzuki. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Tai Chi challenged Kawada. We are waiting to see if that is just a, a little funny, quick, you know, cute him going to business sort of thing for himself, or if this is something bigger and we're actually going to get a match or a program worked out of it. So that is going to do it for the news. Jeremy, take us to the questions, and then let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so Ghost of Doc Gonzo says, with Kenny Omega being barred from participating in any way of triple mania do you guys think there's any shot of getting omega versus osprey in the dome if not who do you guys think osprey will face well they've been building it haven't they for quite a good while and osprey was grifting out the meet and greets when somebody come up with a kenny omega t-shirt was like, oh it's not nice to meet you but nice to meet somebody else so i don't know i Probably not at this rate because there's not been much of a build coming towards Tokyo Dome unless Kenny kind of jumps on the plane soon enough. But I don't know what the situation is with him and AEW. So hopefully we get it, but I doubt it at this point. Yeah, at this point, we really don't know at all what what's going to happen. I mean, if it's a legal sort of standpoint, then no, it's not going to happen unless maybe at a different <laughs> Tokyo Dome show, not this one. Um, as far as who Osprey would face in his stead, I really don't know. Maybe, hey, maybe it's going to be a WWE guy. Maybe AJ Styles or Seth Rollins. How about that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are other AEW names who are not suspended right now that they could throw out there to do a big match. I mean, do pack yeah i will say that yeah they were they were teasing a match of pack on on dynamite a few weeks ago during the, the trios tournament uh that would be a cool uh match to do in the tokyo dome but yeah i think until something comes out about the case i don't think we'll we'll see omega wrestling at all until it's all cleared up because like you mentioned uh conan said on his podcast he had reached out to kenny to do a, a, a video after the Vikingo and Ray Phoenix match, and Kenny said he couldn't do it due to legal uh, ramifications of this investigation of, of the fight. So, uh, next question from Lazy Bingard Who do you think is going to win, Osprey versus Naito? In respect of who wins, who would be a good match at Wrestle Kingdom for Osprey if Omega is out? Is Osprey versus Shibata a possibility? 
Also, after failures in the last two Wrestle Kingdoms for United Empire, do you think they might do a every member is champion gimmick at this Wrestle Kingdom? Osprey as U.S. champ, Ocon and Cobb as tag champs after defeating FTR. Aussie Open strong tag champs, TJP and Akira, IWGP junior tag champs, and Hanare as a KOPW champion. Uh, this is a funny one, I need because you want Naito in the dome, don't you? I mean, you want Osprey in the dome, so it's kind of a catch twenty two. Like whoever wins it probably gets a rematch at the dome, don't they? Maybe, but I suppose that's not how it works in New Japan. Somebody's going to come out and challenge, but either way, you want those guys in the dome sending tickets, don't you? And then who's Night Og on the face? It's just a weird situation in my head, personally. I don't know who's going to win it, to be honest. If Night Og wins it, then what's Osprey doing? And if Osprey wins it, what's Night Og going to do? You know, there's not much clear programs after this match, is there? So... It's just quite confusing for me personally. Yeah, it's it's just not clear right now from my perspective. I mean, um, my feeling all along had been that we were leading to an Osprey Omega match and that program needed the title to make it more meaningful. And I even thought that Omega should go over because Osprey at that point would have had a very lengthy reign. That's kind of all out the window at this point. So maybe you could audible and put the title on Naito if you have a potential champion or challenger, you know, sort of lined up and in place. But um, I, I really don't know. I, I think right now I'm still going to bet on Osprey uh, as being the guy, but I don't know who his next, uh, you know, challenger on the horizon is going to be. Uh, aside from that, though, um, it's been a long time since New Japan's done and every single member of the faction is a champion sort of gimmick. And normally when they do it, it's not generally at say a wrestle kingdom. And this is something that used to get you and me, Jeremy, we do our predictions in the early days of this podcast. We kind of go down that route and I got burned so many times that I'm very reluctant to do a whole entire, they're going to sweep the night sort of um, proclamation, but I wouldn't be surprised if many of the members of United Empire do win based on their poor performance kayfabe-wise in the past. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. With the, the Naito Osprey thing, it's so close to Wrestle Kingdom. I, I have a hard time seeing them do a, a rematch from that, so I think there will be some kind of angle to divert one of those guys into another match, depending on what the result is. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see some um, big success for UE come Wrestle Kingdom 17. Hawaiian there was there was a, a comment from Kevin Kelly on commentary, and I don't know if it means anything or if he was like giving everybody a real hint hint or if he was just kind of talking out of turn. But he said something about like even if Naito doesn't have gold, there are other champions out there that he could challenge. And mm-hmm. it like sort of made me think like they gonna bring over like John Moxley to wrestle Naito in the dome. Like, is that something that he's alluding to could be yeah he did make a comment like uh the gold always seems to like follow naito and not naito following the gold so yeah who knows maybe that's how you get mox involved you know you do a thing where naito is waiting for his next challenge who he wants to face at the dome then you'd somehow do mox we also never really did get the payoff for mox and uh 
and Osprey. And if you were going to bring in a big star from AEW, that might be the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I forgot about one guy as well. Like Tanahashi is kind of not doing nothing much, is he? That's he true. Got, um, they're kind of like always stick him in the dome, don't they? And he's kind of like sliding down the scale, isn't he? He had that US title match last year, so that could be kind of his slot this year, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's just a quick thought that I had about him because they always seem to shoehorn him in. Yeah. Uh, next question from Hawaiian Punch VV. Do you think the prince of Saudi Arabia is a big enough fan of Haku that he'd want to see Hikaleo chokeslam Carl Anderson to hell at Crown Jewel and take the Never title back? <laughs> That'd be so crazy. <laughs> uh, he also says Olympic judo gold medalist Aaron Wolf has expressed interest in being a wrestler after his retirement. Obari, Nagata, and Okan are looking to recruit him. Wolf did say as a guest commentator on a Noah show that he only watched New Japan. If he did join NJPW, do you think that they would accelerate his young lion and excursion process to get him as a main player sooner? Will Gato instruct him to shoot on Okada to make him a main event threat right away like Naoya Ogawa? Or would a shoot style team of him and Bolton make the tag division more interesting instead? Outside of gymnastics, there is no outside activity that I find to be more like conducive to creating good wrestlers than judo. So if, if an Olympic judo gold medalist who loves new Japan wants to get in the business and they're and new Japan's courting them, I'm all about it all day, every day. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be awesome, but let's leave the Anokiism at home. We don't need him shooting on anybody. Um, but yeah, a shoot style stable would be uh, kind of cool. I'm always down for shoot style stables. They can do a, li- a little bit of shoot. Look at the Creed brothers. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, just dumb people on their heads. <laughs> I mean, I, re- I established that we are pro head drops in on this show, you know? <laughs> uh, last set of questions here from Les Commission 7252. He said, what factions has the best chemistry against one another in tag and singles matches? For example, Suzuki Goon versus LIJ. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think, like, he's probably right with Suzuki and LIJ. They do, do have a good chemistry between them. But like, kind of like I throw United Empire with, like, in that mix, they kind of, like, have good chemistry with other factions as well, don't they, at the moment? It's between those three, I think. Like, having inter-faction matches between each other, singles or tags. Yeah, it's it's Lij and uh, Suzuki Goon hands down, just across the board. Yeah, that's that's the easy answer right there. Then his last question: If each of you would be going to the IWGP Tag Team Championships, which partner would you guys choose? It could be anyone from New Japan, AEW, Impact, or etc. I'll probably choose that new massive young line they got. I don't know what his name is, but he's a tall lad, and he seems pretty built. I think Zach was kind of teasing him and kind of like bending him down to his height or something like that. I'll probably choose him. <laughs> he seems like a decent dude to have you back because I'm a skinny, skinny person, so I need somebody big. Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Why would I choose anyone other than Brock Lesnar, the former UFC heavyweight world champion, the, the, like the baddest shoot fighter in all of wrestling? 
and also like the biggest scariest meanest fucking dude i'm picking brock <laughs> uh i think i'm gonna go with the stone pitbull tomohiro ishii you, you can't he's a loser you guys are gonna lose but it'll, it'll be a great match though <laughs> <laughs> then you should have picked kenny omega <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right well that's gonna wrap it up for the questions uh bash i want to thank you so much for joining us giving us your live perspective from royal quest um tell our listeners where they can follow you online and anything that you want to plug um yeah i just want to thank you two both first of all for taking the chance on me because um, i'm quite unknown on the podcast i want to give a couple of shout outs to like people you've had on before Karen Peterson, Sonel from Sonel's Life, Rocky, me, I had Chris Samsa, and now you've had me. So <laughs> you've had like, like the best of the best. And I give a shout out to the JCast guys because <laughs> um, they're pretty, they really helped me out during the time period when I was really sick. So I just want to give a shout out to them. And um, you can find me like um, at the Broken Point, and you can find my friend at, at Breeze underscore shooting. And, I ain't got much else to plug. Just enjoy wrestling. Nice. Um, so real quick here with the, the recommended match of the week. I know we've been kind of thrown off of that whole thing the last couple of weeks now. Um, I don't have anything new pick because I don't know. I didn't, we didn't really talk about what we were going to do with this. Just push uh, it. Yeah. Push so it to next week. Yeah, so we're almost at the end of the grading period anyway. So we, I guess we need to like, uh, I mean, we haven't formally like discussed it, but. I, I looked at the the calendar and it looks like historic crossover event with stardom is going to be the final new Japan event of this year's calendar for our voting criteria. And then almost the, the very next day it goes right into tag leagues. And that's historically been where we, we cut everything off. So you got like a little, what, less than a month. Yeah. Till award season. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we got to start getting working on that, but, uh, Got some, I think we got some uh, good stuff to pick out, but um, you know that's what a lot of the excursion match of the week is about. So I guess we should start picking the best of the best and uh, hammering those things. <laughs> yeah, out very soon. Yeah, well, that's gonna wrap the show up. Next week we'll be back to review more of the Battle you know of Autumn Tour. Let's do this. Since Kitamura passed, let's watch his last match, the one with Nagata. Okay. And let's watch the match with Okan, Oka, where he won the uh, Young Lions Cup. Both quick, both easy. And we'll review those next week, and then we'll jump back in the rotation off that. All right. Sounds good. So we'll review those next week along with the rest of the shows from the Battle Autumn Tour and, of course, New Japan Strong. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Show Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guy podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. 
and the great match generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.